Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. My name is Scott Gardner and this episode I'd like to share with you a little get together I had recently with a friend of mine, Paul Spataro. Now Paul, like me, you know, he's a longtime comics fan and we originally got together with every intention of doing a more or less standard episode of Back to the Bins, but as you're going to hear, we started chatting as soon as we sat down at our microphones and I quickly realized that a, we were already on a roll conversation-wise, and I really didn't want to stop because I liked where we were going. And B, you know, since I was already recording, why not make this the episode? So there aren't any proper introductions, which is why I'm recording this now. I hope you enjoy the show, and I definitely plan to have Paul back in the future for some regular format uh, Back to the Bins episodes. By the way, don't worry about Michael Bailey. He hasn't been replaced or anything. He's off celebrating turning nine years old. So happy Leap Birthday, Mike. Enjoy the day off. I hope your birthday is awesome, buddy. And we will catch you guys in the future. Enjoy the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, And it's one of these things, you know, when it comes to, to podcasting, it's one of these things where I, I don't feel that you're qualified to judge yourself. You know, you, you know, I could get on there and talk to you and think, oh, yeah, I did good. And meanwhile, you know, <laughs> you could be sitting there saying, wow, that was a bunch of crap. Uh, so, like, you know, as much as I want to do it, you could be sitting there saying, this guy doesn't have anything to offer. So, No, not know, at all. I, rather the reverse. I mean, because anytime I've heard anything that you've been on, um, you know, I, I'm always like, why doesn't he do more? You know, why isn't he out there? Because I hear some of these other... Uh, you know, just some people that are just, you know, yin-yangs, and it's like, all right, they're out there and they're offering a, an opinion, but it's not really original or they're not terribly informed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas I would rather listen to somebody who, you know, kind of knows what they're talking about or, or, or has a unique angle or just has a story to tell. That's a lot of it, too. Sometimes, I mean, you you can be just winging it off the cut co- because I mean, that's how i you know you you said it best you know you're, you're your own worst judge of character how i see myself as a podcaster is that somebody who's who's been around you know in these different genres for a long long time but my memory sucks so bad that i i don't consider myself any sort of an expert i just have a story to tell you know how yeah, the, but, how but, this affected me or how i feel about because i'm more i come from at things more from the emotional the gut level of how, how I felt about it. Whereas somebody like say Mike comes from it as, you know, he's the super brain that remembers every friggin' detail <laughs> of every story he's ever read. I don't, I mean, I can, I can just finish reading a run and then can't go back and tell you what the hell it was about because I forget five minutes after I've read it, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty good on remembering a lot of the details, especially like you said, with the Marvel stuff. Cause you know, most of my early days was Marvel, and then I kind of pulled in the DC and other stuff later on. So, you know, it's it, the the '70s Marvel stuff is probably my uh, my forte. Uh, but uh, you know, not to blow smoke up your ass, but uh, to give you my critique of you as a podcaster is: I, I think you tell entertaining stories, and you're opinionated, but you always back up your opinion. You don't you don't just give you know it's it's not the oh this sucked and that's it. You know, if you think something sucks, you tell you tell us why it sucked, or at least why you felt it sucked, and I think that's good enough. I try. I mean, because I li- I've listened back to some of our earliest stuff, and I think when we first got started, I thought it was enough to just give an opinion. And now I realize that no, you really need to do just what you're saying. Is if you're gonna if you're gonna 
especially if you're going to be the guy that dislikes the thing that everybody else thinks is the second coming, then you better be able to back your shit up because otherwise you're going to look like an idiot. You know, sometimes yeah. you look like an idiot anyway, even if you do back your stuff up. So I, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that because that's really the, the, the guy I've tried to make myself, you know, is that, you know, one way or the other, because I'm actually, I'm still very actively trying to turn that perception around. And I want to be more of, you know, the kind of the, the new shtick that, that Chris and I have slowly adopted is, you know, defending things that we really, really like. And mm-hmm. you know, yeah, rather than tearing, you know, tearing down, because I, I think anybody can tear something down. I think it, it takes a real talent to take something that, that, you think has been unfairly judged, like, I don't know, like say the Phantom Menace, for example, and be able to make a defense for it. I think that's a skill. Whereas, you know, anybody can say, well, that movie sucked. Anybody can do that. You know, it takes no skill whatsoever to do that, but it takes a lot of skill to be able to prop something up and make somebody, you know, I mean, the, the, the biggest reward I've ever had as a podcaster so far is when somebody has written in and said, you know, I always thought that that you know X, you know whatever it was, you know X movie, X comic, whatever sucked ass, but you know after listening to your show, I went back and checked it out, and you know it ain't so bad. That was very rewarding to me. That is extremely rewarding because that's all I wanted was a little bit of validation that you know I'm not crazy. This movie's not as bad as you think it is. You know that that I can, was I can give you uh, I can give you two examples for me. Uh, one was when you and Chris did the uh, City on it, the Edge of Forever uh, commentary, mm-hmm. which, which I, by the way, take credit for because I had sent you a, a, a message saying you guys should do a commentary. <laughs> but uh, when, when you came up with the fact that uh, Edith Keeler should have been the lost love in Generations, mm-hmm. to me, that was brilliant. I just, I, I, that idea, I fell in love with that idea and I just thought it was the greatest thing because just to have, I, I know you, you know, you talked that one day about there was the book that explained his relationship with, uh, all of a sudden I can't remember the name of the, uh, the woman from Generations. <laughs> I know we always have this problem. It's, um, uh, Antonio. Antonio. Yeah, yes. I always have to stop and really think about that. I have to replay that scene in my head every time to remember what her name is. But it, w- it would have had so much more depth if they had gotten Joan Collins to give a, a cameo appearance in the movie and, and mm-hmm. had it be the healer. That would have just been awesome. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it would have just changed so much of his motivation and everything. So I, I really thought that was a big thing. That, and uh, I hadn't seen Logan's run in probably 30 years when you did the commentary on that or the uh, review of it. I don't remember what you did. Uh, but I went out and bought the, the Blu-ray the next day. Like, oh, I was wow. actually, you know, I, I listened to it and I was like, I got to see this movie again. And I went by Target and picked up the Blu-ray. What'd you think? Uh, I, 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 it, it was, you know, it was a little dated, but otherwise I still loved it. Oh, great. Good. Oh, good. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, whoosh, that, that had to be expensive. So I, I hope it wasn't a matter of all oh, those assholes talked me into this. And this movie sucks. No, no, $7. <laughs> oh, really? That's all? Yep. Man, that's not bad. But you know, I mean, come to think of it, I think the the one that I've got, which is just you know, it's just the regular no frills DVD. I think that was only like five bucks when I bought it. So, but uh, I could give you a recommendation if you hadn't seen. Now, let me ask you this first: Were you a fan of The Sopranos? Never seen it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. But I, I just uh, I just signed up for the Netflix streaming, which is new to me, and I started to watch Breaking Bad. 
Chris has been into that show. And uh, it, it reminds me, not in, not, in story, not in the story itself, but kind of the storytelling method, it reminds me of The Sopranos. And it is awesome. I just finished, finished watching the first season, and I tell you, I, I'm recommending that to everybody. Excellent show. I've been wanting to check out, um, I'm not sure the name is, Boardwalk something. Board, oh, uh, Boardwalk, Boardwalk King Empire. Empire, that was it, yeah. I've That's heard some good uh, things Steve about Buscemi. that. Yeah, that looks really good just because I like period piece kind of stuff, and, uh, and that looked really interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I had watched the first episode of that on HBO, and the reviews, even when that episode came out, were that you had to wait until three or four episodes in before it hit its stride, but that once it hit its stride, you were going to love it. But I didn't have the patience to watch three or four right then. So uh, now that it's out on DVD, we have a great library over here. So I just go online, and I put in a request for it, and when they have it, they'll give me a call, and I'll just stop by and pick it up. And then I'll, uh, I'll watch the whole thing. So I, I do have to give that a little time, because people I know who did stay with it, you know, they, they were raving about that also. I have a couple of series like that that I want to catch up with that people are talking about. Uh, this, this new one, uh, Justified. I haven't heard of that. It's, it's, I think it's a modern-day Western. I haven't really heard too many details. But people are saying that it's awesome. And the other one that I'm uh, going to try and catch up on is uh, Sons of Anarchy. I haven't heard of that either. That's, that's a biker uh, drama. Hmm. But it's also supposed to be really good. So there's, I have, I've definitely have a lot of stuff that I can watch, but uh, I'm a little bit limited on it because my wife doesn't really want to get into any new show. You know, she, she doesn't want any new uh, addictive TV. And uh, I can't really watch shows like that while my kids are awake because it's right. a too graphic. So sometimes by the time the kids go to bed, it's, you know, there's just not enough time to, or, or I don't have enough <laughs> energy to, to watch anything. Excuse me. That's all right. I, I know what you mean. And I, I keep, you know, there's all these shows I've been wanting to get into because I, I keep getting all these recommendations. And it finally hit me the other day when I was like, why can I not seem to find time to, to do, you know, watch television? And it's, it's purely podcasting. I'm always busy with, you know, if I'm not recording, then I'm doing homework for the next show or whatever. So it really comes down to podcasting's just eating up, you know, all my free time, it feels like. But. That that's probably a good thing anyway, because you know I've I've never been a big TV person, but I do need to find that like, you know, several season long, really addictive show that I can put on and 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 start walking again, because uh, I, I really have got to start getting back into shape, and I realize that my my decline, <laughs> you know, where I where I started putting weight back on, you know, not long ago was when I finally finished watching my way through Star Trek. When mm. I ran out of Star Trek was about the time I stopped walking. Because so I'm saying walking, you're talking on a treadmill. Yeah, you know, I was I would pop in an episode, and they generally run about 50 minutes, and so I'd walk all the way through the show and watch the show, and it was just a great little workout, you know, because it lasted just about as long as as my endurance would last on the treadmill. And then, boom, I was done, you know, and I would do that every single day. And then when I finally, you know, got through everything, it was like I struggled for for months to try to find something and never really found anything that that filled that void to where it would keep me that engaged in, in everything. And it was shortly thereafter that I just started slacking off. And I, you know, here it is a couple years later and I still haven't really picked it back up. And 
I'm ashamed of myself because I've basically gained back all the weight I had lost plus a little bit. And it's like, damn, you know, I've really had this setback. And then it, it really hit me that it was it was Star Trek. It was having <laughs> watched my way through it and had nothing. And I just because everybody kept saying, you know, because I remember when I, I was coming up on the end of it. And I threw something up on the forum about, guys, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on the end of Star Trek. I, I really need something to, to keep me going. And I don't think I, at that time, I don't think I felt comfortable disclosing, you know, wh- wh- how I was using Star Trek, you know, for workouts. So I just was, you know, soliciting ideas. And the one that kept coming up was Battlestar Galactica. I just couldn't get into that. I, 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 know, I tried it. to get into that also. I watched the first couple and then they just faded away on it. I just couldn't stay with it. Yeah. I watched, I think I ended up making it maybe, I was going to say half. Honestly, it was probably more like a third of the way into the first season. And it's not that it wasn't good. It's not that it wasn't well put together or well produced or well acted or anything. like. It was just, just wasn't for me. There was something about it that I just kept thinking, this is appealing to somebody, just not me. You know, it, it, it just seemed like another one of those real flashy, you know, Dawson Creek type of sci-fi shows, you know, where they were really aiming for a whole different audience than, than, you know, the, the Star Trek guys, you know, cause right, it, it right. wasn't, it wasn't especially intelligent, I guess was my problem with it. It was more, a lot of flash, a lot of action, a lot of young love and sex and angst and all that. And it was like, no, I don't want that shit in my Star Trek. You know, I I want intelligent science fiction where I walk away at the end thinking about something. So you're talking space opera instead of uh, science fiction. Kind of. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that the distinction that they make on that? Like star, as much as we both love Star Wars, Star Wars is space opera and Star Trek is science fiction. Yeah, I think I would put it. Yeah, I think I would go that route. So yeah, you know, I, I tell you, I would, I would recommend uh, if you have the system to stream it. Uh, I would recommend Netflix for for your workout though, because not only is there Breaking Bad, they have all the Star Trek series on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have uh, Twenty Four, which if if you never watched that, that's pretty much you know that glues you to the television. Then uh, there's a, there's a bunch of different series on there. It's 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 interesting because uh, today we were sitting in. Uh, I, I just went through and I found that we I put on like a 1971 episode of Columbo from there, <laughs> and, and and I was surprised that my son sat through the whole thing watching it with me. Uh, you know, Robert Stack was the bad guy, and it was uh, you know it's very 1970s when you watch it—the clothes, the cars, everything. Uh, but it was you know it was pretty entertaining. And then uh, they have Young Indiana Jones, which is something I never watched that I figure I'm going to check out at some point. Uh, they have that new series Sherlock. The, the British one. I've heard good things about that. I've heard good things. I haven't seen it yet. So that's another one that's on my, they have like, you have like an instant queue where if you see something you like, you could throw it on there and, uh, and, and you know, it's, it's automatically up there when you, you know, when you're looking for something to watch, uh, they have the Avengers, the new cartoon is on there. Uh, they have this, the old silver surfer cartoon from like 10 years ago or probably closer to 20 years ago now. Hmm. Which I, never, I don't even I think that's on that. I don't even think that's out on DVD, so I don't know how they would have it on there. They have the a couple of those, uh, the uh, I, don't, I don't even know what you call them, the motion comics, I guess you call them. Oh, yeah. They have the, the Black Panther one, the Spider-Woman one. And, and I, I mean, I have to catch up and watch a lot of this stuff, but, 
you know, it, it can be a little overwhelming at first when you first, you know, we're only on to it for a week now and you see all of these different things. It's like, oh, I want to watch that. I want to watch that. But, you know, you got to just kind of prioritize, okay, when I get through this series, then I'll go on to the next one, you know? Right. So right now I'm on Breaking Bad and I'm telling you, like, the first episode, it probably took me about 15 minutes and I was hooked. <laughs> and and the first season, I think, is only eight, eight episodes long. I was through the eight episodes in like two days. Wow. And I don't have that much free time. So, <laughs> but one nice thing is I, I, I got a tablet now, and uh, you could stream it on there also. So, so there are times where like, you know, my daughter's watching uh, the Disney Channel, and I'll just put my headphones on and, and, and watch Breaking Bad on the tablet while she's watching uh, you know, uh, whatever show it is that she's watching now, My Babysitter's a Vampire or whatever <laughs> Disney show there is. Is that a real show? Yeah, yes, it is. Is it really? It's, oh, it's wow. one of her absolute favorites. She likes that, and uh, I can't even think now. Big Time Rush is another one. You know, one of these uh, that's like the boy band TV comedy. Yeah, it's, hmm. it's I guess I guess it's the 2012 version of the Monkees. Wow. But yeah, yeah, that's because you got boys. You don't you don't get that. Now they watch they watch a lot of. There, there's this one show that's on with this guy. He, he, to me, he reminds me of like, you know, the the Pee Wee Herman of this generation. I can't remember what the name of the show is. It's on, it's either on Disney or it's on Nick. And he's just, I want to say it's like Freddy or something like that. And oh, it's like horrible. Goofy. Yeah, isn't that awful? Yeah. <laughs> my 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 wife has forbidden my children from watching that when she's around. <laughs> Because it's just so bad. <laughs> I mean, it, he he started out like as a, a guest, you know, appearance on iCarly, which is actually a pretty well written show. There's some clever things in that, uh, and you know, the, she she has a, a web TV show that she runs, and people send in clips, and she shows them, and she was showing clips from this guy Fred, uh, and and. Somehow they they worked that into give him, giving him I think two movies that that they've made. And I you know maybe if I was eleven or twelve I, I would find it amusing, but no, <laughs> that's that's really bad. And I'm I'm hearing a lot of people say this this uh, I don't know if it's Cartoon Network or Nick, but there's a show Adventure Time. Oh yeah, people are saying that's very clever, but I haven't seen any of that yet. I know so my that. boys watch that. I've I've kind of watched it over their shoulder a couple of times and. It's one of those things where I, I've seen it and I'm like, ooh, I can't watch too much of this because I could see myself getting sucked right in, you know? Mm. <laughs> well, SpongeBob did that to me at one time. Oh, my yeah. God. Nah, that's... I have since escaped. <laughs> yeah, I, I, can't, I can't deal with that. I, and, I respect and... some of the talent that they're able to pull in on that show, but SpongeBob himself, the, the, the primary character, just annoys the living shit right out of me. I can't say I don't understand. I do, but I still found it very funny. <laughs> and and I mean, I I not it's not something I keep up with. But you know, a, a couple of years back, I I would watch it with the kids, and we would all be laughing. And uh, the other the other one that's actually pretty clever and well written is uh, this uh, Phineas and Ferb. Yeah, yeah, my boys watch that too. That uh, seems like a cute, uh, pretty cute little show. Yeah, and they come up with things that are pretty clever every once in a while. They have the you know the whole thing with the platypus that's a secret agent and uh, his his arch nemesis. And I just remember we you know we were watching one where uh, 
apparently the, the arch nemesis gets tired of the platypus, so he gets a new pl- nemesis, some panda bear that's a spy. <laughs> and, and they end up on like one of these, uh, you know, these, these TV shows where they're out there, just, you know, like a Dr. Phil type show explaining why, why they're choosing new nemesises for each other. And <laughs> it, 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 was, it was stupid, but it was very funny. You know, it's it's one of the things, you know, I always kind of thought when I was a kid, and I, and I guess it just comes from being in a different age, but, you know, when my dad was younger than I am now, he always seemed so much more serious than I was, or than I am. Right. And, and you know, as a teenager, I kind of thought, okay, you know, when I'm in my 40s, I'm going to get serious. I'm not going to like this science fiction anymore. I'm not going to be reading comic books, you know, because... You know, because cause you get, you know, obviously you get, when you get older, that stuff isn't good anymore. And here I am, 49 years old, and I'm sitting there, you know, can't wait for the new issue of some book to come out. And, uh, you know, the move, all these comic movies come out, and, uh, you know, I get my son to go with me, and I'm, like, afraid of the day when, he, when he's too old to go with me, because then I won't have anybody to go with anymore. <laughs> so, I'm right there with you, man. I know yeah. exactly what you mean. Times have changed, I guess, because you don't have to be that serious all the time. You know, I, and, and I guess it's, it's you know, we, we all mature to a certain point and stop. And I'm thinking, you know, when I hit about 17, 18 years old, other than, you know, taking care of what you have to, you know, because life presents it. I, I don't think my tastes have changed all that dramatically since then. I just, I, I, I've always, I've always been very fond of the expression young at heart. You know, I, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to is that, you know, I, I think there is a very fine line between young at heart and maybe emotionally retarded. But at the same rate, you know, I, I think so long as you, you know, you're, you're straddling the healthy side of that line, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know. I, I, I actually, you know, this, this probably sound awful, but I actually kind of pity people that aren't able to hold on to at least some small measure of childlike wonder you know because when you get to a point where you know you're you're so mature or you know you're you're you know more often just cynical about things and and you 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 can't take you know the simple enjoyment of a goofy movie with lots of explosions and car crashes then i I, you know i think you you lose something as a you know as a as an adult as a person you know Oh, absolutely. And it, it's funny because, you know, we were talking before about, uh, you know, being able to put your finger on exactly why you dislike something, you know, giving an intelligent opinion. If you don't like something or if you do like something, being able to put your finger on it. But sometimes that opinion for me is just based on how much I'm able to immerse myself into the movie and kind of take that childlike awe and just like go with it and, and not be sitting there saying to myself, okay, I'm watching a movie, but more or less, you know, get into it so much that I'm not even thinking about it. And, uh, you know, one movie, and I could tell you that, that that fell that way for me was when I saw Watchmen. Uh, like, it never fully pulled me in. Like, I, I, I was always aware that I was sitting there watching a movie. Mm-hmm. And another, another movie that got terrible critical reviews, but I did get into and when I went to see it with my son and I enjoyed was uh, the first G.I. Joe movie. And, uh, you know, yeah, it was campy and silly, but I was able to, to immerse myself into that world and it did, you know, I enjoyed it. I got a kick out of it. And when the new one comes out, we'll go see that too because 
I like the first one. And I, I'm definitely in the minority on that one. <laughs> From what I've heard, yeah, I, I haven't seen that one myself. I was never a G.I. Joe fan. But, you know, now that I think about it, and this is it's really funny because this is something that uh, Michael Bailey and I were talking about the other night. And I, I, had to, I just had to ask him. I think I put it to him something like this is that, you know, Mike, as my friend, I want you to be perfectly honest. I really need your your completely honest opinion about this. Am I a hypocrite? Because I know that it annoys the hell out of me when some beloved property of mine, say Jonah Hex, for example, is taken. They make some crappy movie adaptation out of it. They totally disregard everything the character's about, all his continuity, all of his comics, everything. And they make something that's just out there for mar- mass market appeal. And it, you know, people latch onto it and they're like, oh, that's awesome. It annoys the shit right out of me. Yet at the same rate, I do that a lot of times myself. And I catch myself doing it. Like with Ghost Rider. Every Ghost Rider fan in the world hated the Ghost Rider movie. I kind of dug it. Because I am totally uninvested in Ghost Rider. So I didn't catch or care that it may have had, you know, problems with, you know, established comic stuff or I didn't know any of that. I just watched it and was like, that's a good dumb movie. You know what I mean? And and took it at that measure, which I'm sure is the same way people took the Jonah Hex movie. They were probably like, that was pretty stupid, but it was a lot of fun. Whereas I was expecting something that was art, you know? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I think there's a, you know. <laughs> but you know, you know, when it comes to, to movies like that, my disappointment is less with the, like, you know, some people have that attitude of, oh, well, that's two hours of my life. I'm never going to get back. And it's like they're angry that they watched a movie. That doesn't happen to me because I can pretty much watch anything and get some pleasure out of it. But I'm more along the lines of it's a wasted opportunity. Right. You, know, you, you get a budget to make a, a Jonah Hex movie, make a good Jonah Hex movie because you're not going to get a second chance to, right. to do it if, if you screw it up the first time. So that's, that's the thing to me is it's a wasted opportunity and that, that bothers me a little bit. But it doesn't kill my ability to try and watch that movie and give it a shot. And there, there are plenty of movies out there that I consider to be, you know, kind of guilty pleasures because I know they're not well done, but I enjoy them anyway. And uh, I can't say Jonah Hex is one of them. I, I sat down to try and watch it, and I, I didn't get too far into it. It just left me cold. Uh, Ghost Rider is more of I, I see Ghost Rider as more of a guilty pleasure. It's I know right. it's not good. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But but the the thing. That would have just made it much, much better for me is if they had somebody besides Nicolas Cage doing it. And, and I feel bad because I know Nicolas Cage is a big comic book fan and I should respect that and, and, and be happy that there's somebody out there who's you know, pretty mainstream who's a big comic fan and wants to be in all of these movies. But every time I see him in a movie, it's like, well, that's Nicolas Cage. I can't, I can't get beyond, you know, I think we would have been so much better off if you had an unknown actor playing Johnny Blaze. And somebody who probably about twenty years younger than Nicolas Cage. What I really wish that he and and you know guys like him, because I know that there are other big celebrities in the world of you know motion pictures that are big comic book fans. I think what would be better served is instead of Nicolas Fa- uh, Nicolas Cage trying to play out his fanboy fantasies on screen is instead take his fame and his money and whatever clout he has in Hollywood and work behind the scenes 
to facilitate a truly good comic book movie or series of movies or something like that. Because yeah, I you know while I respect his fandom and you know his fanboyishness and all that, I think it's awesome. I, I think you're you're absolutely right. Is that people are going to sit down whether he's playing Ghost Rider or Superman or whoever he's playing, and they're going to see Nick Cage. They're not going to see the character. And I think you know I, I'm just guessing here because I still don't really understand everybody's beef with uh, with Ghost Rider. You know beyond um, you know fanboyish issues and I don't say that as a you know as a as a harsh criticism or anything because I have them myself. I'm just saying that I, I think that's ultimately the problem is I think people sit down and they see him. They don't they don't see the character that he's playing anymore because he's he's past that point. He's like Schwarzenegger. You know, you go to a exactly. Schwarzenegger movie, you don't you don't see whatever character he's supposed to be. You see, all right, this is Arnold in the in the newest Arnold movie, you know, and, and I think Nick Cage has been in that that realm for quite a while now. And it's sad. I mean it, it is you know pretty sad when actors get to that point where, you know, they're the, they're this actor in the latest role rather than, you know, you, you have to try to connect with whatever the new role is or whatever. But because I, I know that there are a lot of people out there, like you know, there's there's Nick Cage, there's Samuel Jackson, there's um, Mark Hamill, and I know there's other, you know, there's a slew of other ones I can't think of at the moment. But it would be awesome if they formed some sort of, you know, Hollywood geeky elite, you know, comic book <laughs> fandom, you know, organization, and the next thing you know, they're they're running something that's like some sort of ILM type of deal where their facility, you know, like what, what Stan set up out in Hollywood, you know, Stan went out to Hollywood and set up the, uh, whatever the hell that was called. But, you know, here 20, you know, 20, 30 years later, it's turned into these huge Marvel productions that are being yeah. made today. It, it took a long time, but, you know, he basically, you know, set set that whole thing in motion. I would love to see some of these other guys really bond together and and do something like that because I, I you know I think what measure of of comic book movie success there has been in recent years, I still see it as kind of a fluke, and I still see it very much as it's only going to take one big bomb and it's all going to be over. And, 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 and I worry about of, that. I do too, and I think one of the things that could alleviate that to some extent is if they eliminated a little bit of the blockbuster mentality right now, so far marvel marvel hasn't had a bomb yet i mean you know from iron man to now i've really enjoyed everything that they've come out with mm -hmm. uh you know to varying degrees i i could i could rank them but you know but uh, there hasn't been one that i thought was a you know was a clunker but every one of them has been a big budget movie and i think you know the occasional big budget movies you know that's fine but why can't they also, you know, do the occasional smaller scale movie where, where you're only investing, say, $50 million into making it, and if you get a modest return on it, as long as it exceeds what you paid, you know, you're still building towards something. You know, why can't you make, say, an Ant-Man movie or a Hawkeye movie or something like that at a much lower budget? You don't need the same special effects. There's no reason why you have to you know, make it into a giant blockbuster. But you're keeping these characters out there, and, you, you know, you focus more on story. Than, than on effects, and I, I think it would be a good way to get the characters out there and, and just build on that franchise that you're building, and if it should turn out that you do have the occasional bomb, you didn't invest your entire studio's fortune on it. I agree with you completely, because 
you know, a couple of things I worry about is that, you know, if, if these movies turn out, you know, and, and I still think that we're, we're in the infancy of the comic book movie, you know, because granted, you know, Superman, the movie was, you know, going on 30 years ago now, or actually, no, it's more than that, isn't it? Yeah. So it's well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's actually 32 years, 34 years. Excuse me. Yeah, that's true. So it's actually closer to 40. Um, I was in high school. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) That's that's scary. <laughs> but you know, I, I mean, the 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 truly successful, you know, franchise. Or I mean, we have we still haven't really seen it yet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and the Marvel ones, I think, are kind of actually kind of paving the road for for where we're headed with this. And I, I think they're going to be, you know, the how they're going to be the new measuring stick for how these things are done and how long they last and all that. So it's actually all playing out right at the moment. But if there are truly parallels between, you know, these movies and the comics that inspire them, then one of the things I worry about is event fatigue, because we have that with comic books, you know, where people get tired of, you know, after the third or fourth event that ends and just launches the next event, you know, people start to get kind of just like, meh, you know, I don't care to follow, you know, whatever the next thing, you know, secret invasion or whatever. And we could get to that point with these movies after a while if we don't get, as you say, kind of the you know the smaller, quiet, quieter movie that's more about an actual story rather than, you know, the the next big world threat or something like that. Um, I, I think that's a little bit further down the road, but I, I do worry about the formulaic nature of these movies. Because that was one of the things that I really liked about uh, about Iron Man Two, was the of the ones we've gotten so far. Granted, that's the only sequel so far, so maybe that's why it's different than the others. But it didn't have that 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 standard Marvel formula that they seem to be following so far of, you know, the origin story, and the the hero fights his opposite number. And, you know, the world is saved, you know, and that's kind of how they're playing out. So far, every one of them's pretty much been the same thing. And that's only going to last so long. They're going to have to bring a, a genuine story to the table to, to keep people coming back and, and to keep us all entertained. Yeah. Well, when you think about it, as much as I have enjoyed them, and again, I have enjoyed all of them, uh, a lot of them have been a little bit, little bit light on the character moments. And mm-hmm. The story hasn't been, you know... It hasn't been especially complex, put it that way. Right. Uh, and, and I, you know, another thing just uh, that occurred to me while you were talking, and it's slightly off of what you're saying, but along the same lines, is uh, I don't know if I like this new business model of we're going to make three movies and get out, which seems to all be based on the original Star Wars trilogy. Uh, but, you know, like... I know you're not a fan, but they're doing it with the Batman uh, franchise. They can make three and be done. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's become the new standard, is, is we're going to do three and be done. That's what they did with the Spider-Man franchise, and now they're rebooting it. And, and it just seems to be, coming, to be becoming the business model for it. And I think there should be more of an eye towards, if I can get a great character and build it up with a great rogues gallery, I want to make James Bond out of this. And you know, 30 years from now, I want to have 25 movies out there. You know, and, and granted, that's just a you know a huge thing to 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 have your as your goal, 
but why not set your you know set your sights high and see where you go with it don't i'm not saying you have to make 25 but maybe you should at least leave the door open for it why why are you closing the door on it so quickly why why can't they just build on the three spider-man movies they already made even if you do have a new guy playing peter parker why do you have to start from the beginning and now we're we're only like 10 years removed from the first one and we're doing a new origin story already right you know i i i, I that's I can't say I'm looking forward to the new movie. The scenes I've seen from it, what little I've seen, looks to be reasonably high quality, but, uh, you know, we saw the origin and we saw it done pretty well. So why, why do we need to see that again? Yeah, I'm, I'm really mystified with this new uh, Spider-Man thing. And, and, you know, as much as I, I have not been a fan of the, of the Nolan ones, I don't understand that either. I, the only thing I can... I can think of of why they're going this route is that they're looking at comic book movie history so far and typically speaking they seem to go you know two maybe three you know good movies you know typically how it seems to have worked so far the ones that have gone three or more movies is they've got two really solid movies the third one's iffy you know, it's it's usually done well at the box office, but has been kind of you know so so critically speaking or you know review wise. And then if they go beyond that, they might as well not have made the ones beyond that because they weren't you know well received or whatever. So I think they're just looking at comic book movie history at this point because you've got Maybe. you know you've got Superman. You know the Superman movies. You know you've got the first two, which were, were huge huge hits. Pretty much universally speaking, everybody loves Superman 1 and 2. Superman 3, eh, you know, you, you've got your fans, you've got your haters, but, you know, it, it was it was eh. You know, it was, it was right there in the middle. Superman 4, in most people's opinions, they shouldn't have bothered, you know? And then <laughs> you got... I, I actually like Superman 4 more than I like Superman 3. I do too. Yeah, I do too. But I mean, you know, to, to Joe Average, though, you know, Superman 4 is, you know, it's a turkey right up there on, le you know, the level of like Ishtar or something. Um, but you know what? That's one that they made at a relatively low budget, at least in comparison to the other ones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, was was it a, a somewhat childish type story? Yeah. But it was an entertaining movie. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really understand the criticism. I, I, I you know, people, sometimes I think people criticize just for the sake of criticizing. You know, they, they don't even want to give things a chance. Well, I'll tell you, I, I've been meaning to do it for the longest time, and eventually it's going to happen, but I, I'm going to do an epic defense of Superman 4 one of these days because, <laughs> you know, I by by no means was I bashing the movie because I'm actually quite the fan of Superman 4. I'm just saying this this is my perception of how other people perceive the movie because this is the criticism I hear all the time about it. But I like that movie quite a bit, and, and it hit me when I first really started to become a fan of that movie – it was when it the, it kind of dawned on me that, you know, we, we complain that we want this, that, and the other thing out of our Superman movies. And a lot of the things I'm hearing people say that they want out of a Superman movie, that movie actually gave to us in spades and nobody seemed to catch it. Probably the biggest thing, Superman fought somebody on his power level. That, yeah. that really didn't happen in the other movies and everybody wanted it. Everybody's saying they want that for the next movie. They want to see Superman fight a supervillain. He fought a Superman villain in, in Superman 4 and somehow... People seem to have missed that or forgotten it. Um, there was, My only I, real yeah. big criticism of that movie is why is John Cryer in it? 
Yeah, this is very true. That that's you eliminate his character from it, and I think it's a perfectly acceptable movie at that point. I think that that movie is an excellent um, tribute to the Kurt Swan era of Superman. I, I really do. I think if you if you look at that movie and you look at say like the 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 official adaptation of the movie in comic book form that which was another thing that kind of started to turn my opinion of it is when i started to realize that you know this really is like an old kurt swan issue put on the screen because a lot of the same types of things that superman would do in a kurt swan story are are given to you in that and i mean he he really is superman in that i mean he does a lot of really fantastic super feats and uh, I don't know. One of these days, I, I am going to get around to doing, you know, a, a, a true, you know, examination and, and defense of that movie. Is it a great movie? No, it's not. I mean, is it silly? Yes. Does it have its problems? Yes. But at the end of the day, I can watch that movie and walk away at the end of it with a smile on my face. I, I, I enjoy it. It's a guilty pleasure, but it's not the the horrible disgrace that everybody seems to want to make it out to be. I, I get a kick out of it. I really couldn't agree with you more. I, it's, you, I, I think you're right on the money with it. But you know, you but got. Now, uh, I, I have I have serious reservations about the uh, the upcoming Superman movie. Just mm-hmm. everything I hear about it sounds like they're doing it wrong. Yep. You know, they, they're going to try and make a grim and gritty Superman. No. They're going to try and make a realistic, real world Superman. No. You know, and 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 I, you know, un- we, we do differ in that I I do like the Nolan Batman movies. I don't want to see Superman in that universe, though. No. I, uh, that's, that's what they're talking about. They're going to have him supervise it or, or executive produce it or whatever the hell he's doing. And, and I think that's a mistake. I have, uh, so far up to now, I, I think I've done a fairly good job of, of, of keeping my, my opinion to myself regarding the, the upcoming Superman movie. But I, I just, you know... I'll just put it this way, you know, I I would like to think that, you know, we as Americans will never have the audacity. Well, no, I, I, I guess I can't say that, come to think of it, because I think we have had uh, American James Bond movies before. But I would I would think that that would tend to piss off the British if, if suddenly we wanted to make, you know, uh, the next big James Bond movie, an American's playing James Bond. I'm a little bit irritated with you know, someone who's not an American playing Superman. I, I, maybe I shouldn't feel that way. Maybe that's a, a, a politically incorrect attitude, but it does. It kind of irks me a little bit. What, we can't find any, you know, dark-haired, blue-eyed, semi-muscular you know, guys here in America that can play Superman? I mean, what's up with that? Um, yeah, I, don't, got, I don't know this actor at all. I, I mean, yeah, I've seen I pictures of him, but I, I don't, I haven't, I've never seen anything he's acted in, so I can't comment on his acting ability. I assume he's playing Superman as an American, uh, or as, as someone raised in America, because uh, apparently Superman's not allowed to be American anymore. I mean, you got Russell Crowe, one of the biggest assholes on the planet, is going to be Jor-El. You've got Kevin, uh, what's his name? Costner. Costner is, uh, I guess. That may be okay. I, uh, I don't know. It could work. And, and uh, Russell Crowe, yes, he's an asshole, but he is a good actor. But what is the, the still the, the one of the biggest sticking points to me is the costume. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and people can say what they want. They can roll their eyes or whatever. But, you know, the costume to me is it's it's an icon. It's it's important. And yeah, I'm sorry, it just doesn't look like Superman to me. I've seen the, the outfits that are out there and I'm like, what is this Spider-Man outfit he's wearing? <laughs> He looks like yeah. Spider-Man with a cape. It, it really, I, I just, I'm not digging on it. Well, and, it was a little of that even with the Superman Returns costume. Didn't yeah. Look, didn't look quite right. The, the maroon color instead of the red, and and I, I didn't care for that that costume either. And I couldn't stand that movie. Super Speedo. Yeah. 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 I, I thought that movie was just, you know, like watching paint dry. Yeah, I took a. Uh, took some unfavorable comments about that because we did a commentary about it not long ago and uh i didn't know it but chris had pointed out to me that there was a site somewhere that that posts up all of our commentaries and somebody had uh, had left a little opinion thing about it and I evidently took uh, exception to the fact that we had anything favorable to say about the movie because i've tried to make it plain that you know i'm not a fan of superman returns i i you know i think they miss the mark by quite a a wide margin but at the same rate i didn't find it irredeemable either you know i mean i did i did think that there were moments of the movie that were very good you know there were there you know the one thing they got right in that movie the one thing where i will you know because i remember people asking me you know was it worth watching or you know going to when it was in the theaters or anything I would still end up recommending the movie because there was one part they got right, but I felt it was probably the most important part of the movie, and that's where he saved the airplane. That was mm-hmm. Superman. That I liked. I thought that was a really awesome scene. But you know, one scene doesn't make a movie, and yeah, you know, th- they just they screwed up so much else in that movie. But ultimately, my my biggest problem is I could pretty much forgive most everything, every other decision they made in that movie, good or bad, but just when your opening premise of the movie is wrong, I, I it's hard to recover from that. And just the fact that Superman would ever abandon the Earth, yeah. I don't care for what reason. I don't, you know, that that I could never get past that. Although they, then they went ahead and did it in the comics with the World of Krypton thing where he left Earth for, what, a year? Yeah. But, but there's so many things about that movie. I thought the casting... You know, I thought, actually, I thought Brandon Routh was okay. Mm-hmm. I thought he did a good job of, of channeling uh, Chris Reeves. Uh, but I thought Lois Lane was terrible. I thought Lex Luthor was terrible. Uh, I, I thought the whole premise, again, with the, the real estate... Uh, that was bad. I thought they got the Superman characterization wrong with the super stalker aspect of it. And, <laughs> uh, the whole, just the whole thing with with the the, the son. I'm not opposed to the idea of, of giving superheroes offspring, but if you're going to do it, do it well. Uh, I, I think in the comics they've actually done it pretty well with Damian Wayne, uh, but but this one I, I thought it was just you know poorly poorly conceived, poorly put together. Uh, I did. I do agree with you about the saving the plane scene. I thought that was good. Uh, there were a couple of little moments in there, like when they did the homage to the cover of Action Comics number one with him lifting the car. Yes. Yeah. Uh, little things like that that I really did enjoy, but they were so few and far between that I, I could never recommend the movie. Uh, do they? Uh, do they still have the Damian Wayne character in uh, the post? Whatever they're, what are they calling it now? The new Fifty Two. Yeah, is he still yeah. in? It? Oh, yeah, he's still there. And uh, I just recently read the the 
the new run from issue one of uh, Batman and Robin, and it's fairly entertaining. It's it's not you know it's I don't know if it's going to be memorable down the line, but it's so far it's pretty good. It's uh, he's he's facing off against the son of uh, Ducard, who trained him back when he was becoming Batman, and uh, Ducard is trying to get Damien, who is opposed to Bruce's ways uh, of to some extent onto his side uh, and and you know basically Damien pretends to go with with Ducard and then turns on him at the last minute and uh, with the most recent issue basically he turned on him and Ducard is basically beating him to death and and Batman is listening uh, so I, I assume he's gonna get there in time to save him but you know tune in next month I guess huh. but that's 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 actually been a pretty entertaining run and the current run on Batman uh, has been very good. I don't know if you've if you've been keeping up on that at all. No, I, I don't keep up with anything DC these days except uh, Hex, and I'm actually about I think three issues behind on that as well. At the Hex moment. has been excellent. Yeah, I'm enjoying that quite a bit. Uh, what else? I'm trying to think what else. I, I read the first run of Aqu- Aquaman, and it started really well, but it kind of ended anticlimactically. So I'm not thrilled with that. Uh, I'm trying to think of what other DC I've been reading. I've read the, the Titans and I read Superboy. They're okay. You know, they're not. They're not at a point where I feel like I need to drop them, but they're not must read. You know, as soon as I get home, kind of thing. So uh, I'm going to change the subject on you and, and go okay. over to to one of the other things that I was uh, that I was thinking of, uh, which is the new controversy with this uh, before Watchmen. Stuff that's coming out. Oh no! Have Have you been keeping up on this? At <laughs> no. All? I, my, yes and no. Um, Mike and I briefly gave our our opinions on it. Or, or actually, it was funny. We were actually trying not to give our opinions about it, and then we I think we ended up talking about it for I don't know fifteen twenty minutes on yeah, one of them. I, or, I won't go too far off. Oh no! Go ahead. Absolutely. Go, go but, ahead. But, you know, I, I just it galls me. When somebody's got such balls that he sits there and says, and I mean, I'm talking about Alan Moore here, that, that he, he's got the balls to say they didn't write a sequel to Moby Dick. Why are they writing a sequel to this? I mean, who the hell does this guy <laughs> you think really he say is? That? Yes. I mean, I'm paraphrasing it, but he, quote, you know, he was quoted as saying, you know, they never wrote a sequel to Moby Dick. But, you know, first of all, when Herman Melville wrote Moby, Moby Dick, I believe he actually invented the characters. You know, Alan Moore took characters that already existed and just put them in new costumes and gave them new names. You know, he and 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 considering this is the guy that writes League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, where he takes everybody else's literary characters and puts them in stories together. You know, where the hell does he get off talking like that? Well, I mean, that, that all of a sudden his characters are sacred. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, while I greatly respect the man, at the same rate, I would not classify myself as an Alan Moore um, expert. So correct me if I'm wrong, but other than V, as in V for Vendetta, has he um, really come up with any original? Oh, I mean John Constantine, I guess. But even Did he come that up with Constantine, I don't even know. Well, I, to my understanding, I, again, I could be completely wrong. But, but even there. Even if he did come up with Constantine, it was in a book that you know he clearly did not invent. You know he reinvented Swamp Thing, and I mm-hmm. I do think for the better. 
Well, then, then again, you know what? I'm not entirely sure I can say that because I remember as a kid being quite irritated with the fact that while I loved Alan Moore's run, I was never entirely care, uh, comfortable with the fact that it was eventually revealed that Swamp Thing was not, in fact, Alec Holland. That that actually bugged me, and when I think about it now, I'm not sure I ever really got over that. I kind of mm-hmm. like the story and kind of dislike the story at the same rate because I ultimately, uh, you know... It kind of flies in the face of of the continuity of the original series, you know, because at yeah. the end of the original series, he actually regressed back to being Alec Holland, which was something that was later discarded by, I think, everybody. I don't think that was ever acknowledged again that, you know, I, I'm trying to remember if it was, I, I want to say it was the last two issues, I think, of the of the original series. He actually regained his humanity. But then by the time we started to see him popping up in things like Challengers of the Unknown, you know, in that in-between period between the end of his first series and then the beginning of Saga Swamp Thing in, what was that, 82, I think? He had a a spat of guest appearances in other books, mostly in Challengers of the Unknown. And at some point, he had become Swamp Thing again, and it was never explained. And it was never referred back to, at least so far as I'm aware – of his regaining his humanity phase, what happened in that interim? It was just kind of like washed away in continuity. So, right. well, I'm far from a, a, a Alan Moore devotee. Uh, I kind of I, I like the. Uh, all of a sudden, I'm drawing a blank, and I, I apologize. Which with the uh, which which is the one with Mongol with the uh, thing that makes your dreams come true? Oh, uh, uh, for, for the man who has everything. Yeah, I think that's a terrific story. Yeah. It, of all the Alan Moore stuff, that's probably the one I like the most. I am not a fan of whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Uh, I was not a fan of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and I think you know there's people probably going to turn off their uh, iPods right now when they hear that. Uh, they're going to say this guy's opinion isn't worth listening to. Uh, but while I really think Watchmen was a terrific story, I'm not willing to put it down as the seminal comic story of, of our lifetime. Amen, uh, brother. The way other people do. I think it's a very good story. Uh, but beyond that, I, I, I'm not totally sold on it. Uh, so for him to, to, to have this attitude towards everybody that, you know, he's the only one with a creative mind out there, it, it just kind of sickens me a little bit. And, and I, I, you know, DC... You know, people want to say, "Oh, it's a money grab." You know, let me let me give everybody a newsflash. DC is out there putting out comics to make money. <laughs> you know, they're going to put out the thing that they think people want to read. You know, it would be a true money grab if they were putting second-rate talent on it and saying, "You know, we know people are going to buy it no matter who we uh, hire. So why are we going to hire expensive people?" But they're putting pretty big names on there. Not everybody. I'm not a big fan of everybody that's on it, but. It's pretty big names that are that are, you know, going to be drawing top dollar for their creative efforts, and they're going to probably pull in top dollar. They're doing what is it, six different series, I think, maybe eight. See, I don't even know that much about it. I, I, for me, it came down to to one thing. I, I saw the news stories, uh, the news stories about it starting to pop up, and people just losing their minds over it, and I just had to chuckle. Because for me, it, it equated to one. You know, I'm not invested in Watchmen. Never have been. I, I've read it. I've read it. I, I think two times. Um, both times, well after all the hype and everything. I think the first time I read it was actually maybe ten years ago at most. 
So, I mean, all the hype, all the legend, all this fanfare had already built up around it to a point where it couldn't possibly live up to all the expectation I had for it. Right. Grant, you know, and I acknowledge that that's not the story's fault. That's whoever my fault, I guess, you know, history's fault, whatever hype's fault. So I read it and I thought, eh, it was all right. I don't see what the big deal is. And then just before the movie came out, I reread it because I wanted to refresh myself. Had pretty much the same reaction. I just don't get what the big hoopla is all about. It's a it's a decent story, and that's that. I've read better. Is is basically how it how it chalks up in my mind. It is not the be all end all of comic books. And and I I don't even think it's as groundbreaking as everybody wants to make it out to be. No. Because isn't the story in many ways very very similar to the. Squadron Supreme 12-issue miniseries? It, it, you read my mind. I was just going to say the same thing because it, it pisses me off no end when everybody always wants to point to Watchmen and go, look at all the ground it broke. Look at all the amazing things and blah, blah, blah. And they point out all these story things that every single one of them can be found in Mark Grunewald's book. And it, 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 it kills me that Grunewald never really got the credit that he deserved. The problem is, is that... Squadron Supreme is very much a product of its time. It's a bit of a slog. With all respect to the now deceased Mr. Grunewald, who I was quite the fan of, that book's a freaking chore to get through. You think Watchmen's hard to read sometimes? <laughs> Squadron Supreme, I mean, you really have to be dedicated to read that because it it's I'm sorry, it's just it's a it's a book of its time. It's an 80s book and damn does it feel like it. I mean, I I read it a couple I read it, I think, about a year after I read Watchmen because I, I, I read Watchmen the first time. And, and like I said, I walked away largely unimpressed. And so I started to do my homework on it. I was like, why does this thing have this killer rep? And one of the things that came up in my homework was the whole Squadron Supreme angle. So I tracked that down and I got the trade and and I read it. And uh, again, that was another one I kind of walked away from going, I just don't get it. You know, what's what's now, had, the big had, deal? Was that the first time you read Squadron Supreme? Yeah, yeah. Because I actually read that series as it was coming out, and at the time, um, like I, that was one of the ones that I would look forward to the next month's coming out, and when I would pick it up, that would be at the top of my stack to read. You know, I, it just occurred to me, it's weird, I, I literally never put this together before. Both of those books, when they came out, I bought the first issues, read the first issues, and was like, man, I don't need to follow this. Both of them, and I never even realized that till this very moment. But, uh, yeah. I, 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 I've had gotten a little bit more of an appreciation for Watchmen uh, when when they started doing the Legion of Dudes podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, that originally started where they did 12, 12 episodes, and each episode I remember basically that, yeah. did one issue of the series. And they would point out some of the things that I hadn't even noticed in it when I read it. And, and I do appreciate the multi-layers uh, that, that Moore put into it. But I, I have this, this thing where, uh, just I'm going to equate it to music. I, I've always been a fan of uh, Bruce Springsteen. And I don't know if you like that music at all or not. But one of the things I really enjoy is when, when I've gone with my friends to a Springsteen concert is when you watch him on stage, he looks like he's having fun. Mm-hmm. And that's something that just kind of becomes infectious and you enjoy the concert more because it looks like he's having fun performing for you. I had gone to several other concerts. I don't even want to start getting into group names because it's just going to date me. Uh, but where, where, where you're watching the artist up on stage and it looks like they're, they're out there to get their money and nothing more. And 
that translates too, and it, it becomes more of a chore to watch them if it doesn't look like they're enjoying what they're doing. And I know in the writing, it's a little different because they can, they, they can mask their distaste for us or their disdain for us. But it's very clear that Alan Moore has disdained for us. And, and it's almost like he, he's lowering himself to our level to write a story for us. And all I can think is, you know what? Keep your story. I don't want to read it. If, 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 <laughs> if you're doing me a favor by writing it, I don't even want to read it. If you're not enjoying it. And it's pretty clear he doesn't enjoy it. I don't know. See, I don't. I, 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 I will have to admit that I don't have an informed opinion when it comes to that. My gut tells me differently, but I think that might might just be a knee jerk reaction to the fact that, to a weird degree, I kind of sort of grew up with Alan Moore, if you know what I mean. Only because as I was, as I was coming up as a as a comics person, really getting into the comics in the mid '80s, when when he was kind of earning his bones as you know a serious comic book writer, you know I, I was kind of following him, and you know, without really knowing these people, you feel like you know the people. You know what I mean? Because you're right. you're getting what's coming out of the hype machine from whichever studio he's working for. So I I don't really know the guy behind the scenes. I don't know his politics. I I you know from what little I've seen, he looks like he's kind of a freak and all that. But <laughs> you know where he wins me over, uh, where I will defend him to a point, is that I do at the end of the day think that he was a hell of a Superman writer. No, I'm not a, a particularly endeared of. Um, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, because I, I agree with Mike Bailey on a lot of his points about that story. But for the man who has everything is a, a phenomenal story. And the swamp thing crossover, um, issue in, um, um, DC comics presents is, I mean, that was a phenomenal story. I really liked that. And I liked the swamp thing run swamp thing really was one of my favorite characters as a kid. That, that was a character that I really had a strong attachment to, and it was nice to see somebody do something with that character that that made him for a time relevant and enjoyable in the DC universe and he wasn't just this you know weird muck monster that occasionally popped up once in a while in some typically kind of sucky story a la man thing over at, at Marvel i mean he was actually relevant for a while you know, he was actually one of the better selling books for a while i liked that it's all this other fringy stuff you know, like like Watchmen and um, League and stuff like that. That's where, to me, it's it, it almost doesn't affect me. You know what I mean? Because it, it's it's often left field. I've never been a, an indie guy. I've never been much. I, I've never up until recently never really had much time for comics that weren't part of uh, of my world. If you know what I mean, if, if they weren't relevant to the DC universe proper or the Marvel universe proper, then I, I didn't really have an opinion. I didn't really care one way or the other because I, I was too busy trying to follow the goings on in my universes to be involved with, you know, things that weren't, but yeah, I can't argue with you there. And I, I I'm kind of the same where I'm, I I'll read things that are out of the out of those universes, but it takes a little bit more to get me to do it. And uh, I know there's two right now. I'm going to change the subject again on us here, but uh, there's two right now that that I know you've been reading, and I I've, I'm I haven't read the most recent issue of either one, but I'm enjoying a lot are uh, the Bionic Man series mm -hmm. and the Planet of the Apes series. Yes, I, I've 
really enjoyed those two runs. I am, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm invested in both. Again, I'm a little bit behind right now. I have not been back to my LCS since just before Christmas, so I, I am backed up at the moment. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm really digging the both of those. And, uh, you know, every time I think, you know, I, I think I think I could just be kind of done with, with comics now. You know, as far as getting new books, I remember those books. I remember those titles. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, those those titles are coming out. And I've got to, you know, for as long as they last, I've got to stick with them. I've, I've got to actually shell out for those because... You know, it's it's not like, you know, when when you decide, when you get to a point, it's like, yeah, I think I'm done with DC or I, I'm done with Marvel. I don't worry too much that they're not going to make it without me. You know, they're <laughs> huge market houses that, you know, well, now, of course, Marvel's got Disney dollars behind them. So I don't think they're going to have to worry about cash for a while, you know. But when it comes to, you know, these smaller places like that, you know, I, I you know, maybe this is big headed of me to think so. But I like to think that. I'm important to their survival that, you know, if I really want there to continue to be issues of Bionic Man, then I can't be content to just download them off the internet. I actually have to buy it, you know? Yeah. And and so I want to continue to lend my support to those books. So so long as there's a Bionic Man book and a, and a Planet of the Apes book and they're both decent, then, uh, yeah, I'm going to continue to go to my LCS. But, you know, <laughs> at the moment, they're the books that are keeping me hanging on with, with still buying new books. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer so invested in any universe that I feel like I need to have everything. I've, I've lost that collector's mentality mm-hmm. where, where you, you're buying a series and it starts to kind of go downhill, but because you have a long run of it, you keep buying it. That's, that's gone. Uh, you know, now if it's something I want to read, I'll buy it. And if it's something I don't want to read, I won't buy it. And a lot of times, even when I will buy it, I wait for it to come out and trade because I, I can't pick things up every single month. But I, I, I think they're really missing the mark. And again, going to the other topic that I was talking to you about maybe discussing tonight, I think they're really missing the mark with the uh, the way they're digitally releasing comics right now. Mm-hmm. I, I think coming out with the same price for a digital copy as you're coming out for the hard copy is just unforgivable, first of all. I mean, I know they're trying to throw a bone to the uh, comic stores, but, you know, realistically, they're not going to survive. In the, in the digital age, comic book stores are not going to survive. Uh, you know, record stores have gone away, video stores are going away, comic book stores are going to go away too. Digital is the way it's got to go. And the two things they need to do is they need to get a more reasonable price point for it. And I think the true price point that you could sell a huge amount it at is 99 cents. And you can more than make up for the difference in price with the volume of sales that you can do on that. And, and with the volume of sales, you'll also increase your advertising dollars tremendously. Because now you have, you know, you, you can point to your demographics and who you're hitting and, and get a lot more money from the uh, advertising. I was, I was listening to an interview with Mark Wade. I don't know if you've ever heard about this. Uh, he was talking about how he was the keynote speaker at some sort of comic book event where, uh, you know, he, it, was all, it wasn't just a convention of fans. It was, it was a, a, some sort of event of, uh, you know, comic book creators. And he talked about the digital market and how you, they need to come up to date with the current times. And he talked about 99 cents or even 
distributing them for free and coming up with a whole new model where you're making your money on the advertising. He's a genius. He's because see, that's exactly. <laughs> I was just going to say that's exactly what I was thinking. And it makes me sound like I'm I'm saying I'm a genius or he's a genius because <laughs> he agrees with me. That's not what I mean. But I, I think realistic. See, my problem with the with the whole digital comics thing is that I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Paul. Is that I think 99 cents is the absolute extreme. That is the max you could possibly charge because I think one of the things that these companies, they either don't realize or they do not want to face reality is, is that these things are out there for free. Exactly. You know, they, are, they are available on the internet for free. Usually at this point, same day. When they're hitting the, the comic shops on... What what do comics hit usually on a Wednesday, right? Wednesdays. You know, by Wednesday evening, that day's comics are on the internet for free. Yeah. And so what has to happen is that their market has to come, you know, their 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 survival has to come from um basically people that um I, I'm just gonna say it, they're too stupid to figure out how to get it for free. Or they're too honest. You know, they, they don't feel comfortable downloading it for free. Or th they're still of, uh, of um, the collector mentality that even though it's digital, they want to have the, the you know, quote-unquote real deal. You know, they want the one that actually comes from DC Comics or Marvel Comics or IDW or wh wherever they're, or they're actually coming from as opposed to, you know, somebody scanned it on their scanner and put it up on the internet for free. So it's not, it's not the quote unquote official copy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they have, they, they're really aiming at kind of a narrow market right there. And there may even be some people that, you know, they're, they're on the fence. Um, morally speaking, it's like, well, I know I can find this for free, but I, I, I really ought to support the company. I really ought to, you know, contribute so if they make it available, you know, at, at you know ninety nine cents or less, then then I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll I'll shell out and I'll support and I'll do the right thing and I'll buy it through the company. I think more than ninety nine cents, you're going to lose most of those people. I agree uh, totally. You know, it, it really that's what it kind you know, and that's that's a it's it's a harsh thing to say. It's an ugly thing to have to admit, but it's the God's honest truth. I'm one of those people that. You know, again, if if it's a if it's a house I really support, you know, if it's a company I really want to lend my money to, then yeah, you know, you you want to do the right thing. You want to help them. You don't want to just you know take and never give back. But at the same rate, come on, we gotta you you gotta just be honest. You you've gotta just be willing to 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 say the truth. And the truth is, hey, if I can get it for free as opposed to paying four bucks for it, sorry, I'm getting it for free. You know, it, it's just the simple reality. I mean, you know, we're we're uh, we're paycheck to paycheck in this world. You know, in this country and, and, these days. You know, <laughs> and, and, when, and when I was fourteen years old and comics were a quarter each, I could afford to buy a lot more of them than I can now that I'm forty nine years old. Yep, and yep. they're four dollars or three dollars each. And and you know, they haven't learned anything. 
from history. You know, what's the old saying? You know, you have to learn from history or you're doomed to repeat it. Yep. The music industry suffered for years because they tried to charge so much for their digital copies. And they mm -hmm. eventually learned that people were going to pirate it if they didn't charge a reasonable price. They found the 99 cent price price point as a as a, a price that people weren't willing to de to pirate at that they would buy it instead of pirating because it was only 99 cents and they and they got back on their feet and they're making a ton of money now mm -hmm. but they were hurting for a long time when they when they when they were charging you know 17 18 dollars for a cd and that was your only way of getting it Chris and I talked about this in one of our earliest episodes of Two True Freaks, and and I made the point that you know if, if I do say so myself, I still think it's a it's a very good analogy, which is when you're in trouble, when you, if you're if you're a car salesman, and suddenly you wake up one day and go, holy shit, nobody's buying cars. The very last business decision that you make is, you know what? I've got to take this car that I can't sell, and I got to raise the price by three thousand dollars. That is the stupidest move that you can possibly make. But what is the what is the music industry and the comic book industry have both made this decision in recent years that as they continue to lose revenue, comics have cut page counts and increased the price. How does that make sense? How does that make any sense whatsoever? If your people, you know, you're, the people you're relying on to to be your bread and butter aren't buying your product when it's two ninety nine with a with a you know twenty I don't know say thirty uh, thirty page count in each issue, why would they buy it for three ninety nine with a nineteen page count? Why would they do that? Especially if it's if it's not better in any way. And yeah. I think a lot of fans think that comics are kind of on the on the decline quality wise. I, and maybe I can't make maybe I'm not justified to make a blanket statement like that because I am projecting. That's my opinion. But I do hear a lot of other people saying that same thing. So I don't know. You know, to me, it, it comes down to also is you know, and I hear a lot of other people say this as well is that who wants to shell out three ninety nine for something that you know, you, you can read on a walk from the couch to the refrigerator as opposed to when we were kids, you could shell out a quarter for an 80-page book that would take you most of the week to read. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that's a, a huge consideration. I don't want a pamphlet. I, I want a piece of literature. I want something that will engage me for at least a freaking half an hour. And, and <laughs> when, when you think about it, and I'm quoting numbers here that don't exist because I'm, I'm Working off the top of my head, I have no statistics in front of me. But what does like a middling comic book sell nowadays? Say Avengers Academy, that's probably middle of the road. Uh, what does that sell? Fifty thousand copies? Sixty thousand copies? I don't even think that. I, again, like you, I don't have numbers either. But I do know that the very last time I looked, and granted, this has been a couple of years. So it's probably worse, I'm guessing. Again, no numbers, and it's just speculation. But the last time I paid attention to numbers, the best-selling book that I remember seeing at the time would have been being considered for cancellation back in the heyday of comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's, yeah. <laughs> like a, that was like a hundred and something thousand or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, back in the day, I mean, they sold millions of copies of things. So there's fans out there. There's people who like the product if you put good product out. Mm -hmm. So there's and there's already. I I had read a statistic. I think there were seven million tablets that have been sold, something like that. And they anticipated that that number was just going to keep growing. 
you know, obviously, as the more they sell, the more the more of them that are out there. So you're telling me at a 99 cent price point, with extra advertising in it that you have to go through in order to read the book, you couldn't sell three times what you're selling now. Mm-hmm. And so now you're getting your 2.99, or I guess you're only getting 2.97, so you are cutting your price there a little. But uh, you, you get you're getting the money that you're getting. You've eliminated your production costs on all of those books, and you're increasing your advertising revenue because you're reaching a market three times as large. I mean, where do they lose on this other than the fact that they're not supporting the outmoded comic book stores? And, and don't get me wrong. I love going to the comic book store, and, and it's something I've done now for 40 years. But it's not the, you know, they're, they're not the same as they were because they can't survive in this current market with the cost being what, they, what it is. The only people I see opening comic book stores now are people like you and me who somehow uh, have the money to do it, which we don't. But, but if we did have the money to do it, and they just love comics, so they want to have that store because they figure it's almost like a retirement job for them. But nobody's right. opening a, a comic book store saying, I'm going to open this up and get rich. Because they're just not money makers anymore, and they're going to all end up closing down sooner or later. So what they're doing is they're sacrificing their own business to keep this market alive a little bit longer. In, in, instead of saying, let's adjust to the market the way it's going to be and, and create a, a market model that's going to be alive for the next 30, 40 years as technology continues to advance. Well, plus, you know, I can't remember the last time... I saw a comic book store that was truly my idea of a comic book store, which is, you know, you, you have a large section of your store, usually a wall or, or a series of racks or something. That's all the latest books, everything that's coming out and, and sufficient quantities for all, you know, not one of these things where you, you better have ordered it through previews three months ago, or you you, we don't have a copy for you, you know, ample, supplies of every single book coming out that's that's you know worth worth having on the wall and then you know just posters you know that are available maybe a rack or maybe you know they're displayed or whatever and then just oodles and oodles and oodles and oodles of back issues and they're ranked you you've got your 50 cent books you've got your fairly recent back issues you got your silver age stuff and then you probably have a glass case where you got a bunch of golden age stuff locked up and that's a comic shop in my opinion mm-hmm. i haven't seen one like that in years what they all are now is you've got you know You've got your Marvels, you've got your DCs, and you've got, you know, a scattering of indies, usually one or two copies deep, and, you know, anything else, you better have ordered it ahead of time because they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't buy extras. And if there's any back-issue bins at all, it's maybe one box of, like, ratty, beat-up, cheap, you know, stuff that they just want to get rid of, and maybe some recent back-issues that go back, you know, five years or something like that. Everything else is devoted to, you know, the Wednesday night D&D game and, you know, World of War, you know, all these other things that, you know, have to support the store because the comics alone can't do it anymore. You know, all the this gaming stuff and, you know, your statuary and your action figures and... You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I'm not even educated enough on what that stuff is to say. I mean, a few years ago, it was Pokemon cards. These days, from what I'm seeing, the places I go, it all has to do with gaming night, you know? Yeah, I don't even see much of the gaming because I'm, I'm not 
a gamer myself. Mm-hmm. I, could, I, could, I talk to my son when I want to know what game is getting hot. But uh, I, I do see a lot of the action figures and statuary taking over the store to a great extent. Right. Uh, and, and uh, you know, the, there's two stores in locally here that, and one of them isn't even all that local. It's more close to my mom and dad's house. So I stop, when I go to visit them, I stop in. And there's very, very little back issue at all in either of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they'll have some trades. They'll have, they have a, a good number of trades. But as far as actual back issues, I guess the market just isn't there for them right now because of the trades. But still, it, it's not what it was. I mean, back, you know, back in, in my day, when we used to walk 20 miles to and from school each day, uh, you know, we, we used to have a store by my cousin's house. I used to go over there once a week or so, and we'd go to the store. And they didn't even have the new books in there. It was, it was literally, it was a used bookstore, and you walked in, and there were shelves and shelves of old books that, you know, would have a, if you opened up the front cover in pencil on the inside page, it would have a, a price on the books, and it would be all sorts of books, but then he had two very large racks of used comics, and I think that was all obtained by, you know, people who would sell, sell their old comics to him and he'd give them a nickel a piece and then he'd put them right. into the bins for a quarter each, you know? Right. And you'd sit there and you'd go through the bins and you'd pick out all the, the back issues that you needed. And then behind the counter he had, you know, the, pr- the, the premium stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I, I look back at it and I, I shake my own head with how unreal it is with the pricing wise because I remember, you know, at the time I was uh, trying to get as many issues of Spider-Man as I could. And when I first started buying, my first issue ever was 131 when uh, Aunt May is going to marry Doc Ock mm-hmm. on the cover. So, I mean, we didn't have nearly the number back then to get back to. But rather than start at issue one and work my way up, assuming these are going to always get more expensive, I did it the other way. I worked from where I was and I was trying to go down. And I actually got down as far as issue, I think, 28, I think, is the first of my solid run. Wow. But, uh, or, or no, 25, excuse me. And, and I bought 25. That was like the one I had to save up to get because that was, that was the first one that got into the more expensive tier. That cost five bucks. And I had to save up to get that. But wow. I remember like the issues in the 90s and the 80s, they were a dollar each. And, you know, at the time, that, that was four times cover price of current books. So that was a, that was a big markup, you know. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, each week I'd go and I'd have, you know, maybe $5 on me. And I'd, I'd go through his racks and I'd pick up, you know, 10 25-cent books. And then I'd go over and get, like, two issues of Spider-Man. And, you know, that would, that would fill out my day's purchase. And, uh, you know, we still had to go buy our comics from the, from the newsstand back then. And I, I remember the first time we went to a convention. We had gone to, like, multiple conventions. But the first time we went to, like, one of the big ones, I think it was, like, the Marvel Con in like 1977 and one of the dealers actually had the books that were coming out that week but it was four days before they were coming out i remember like our eyes like bulging out of our heads seeing these issues hey these aren't even out yet at the newsstand and uh the the guy at the the newsstand around the corner from me uh you know I, i stopped in there one day and he was like oh we got the new books I was like, oh, yeah, I already have those. And he got, like, really mad at me because <laughs> I, I had bought them from somewhere else. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, I, and then, then, you know, as time went on, eventually the stores started pre-ordering and, and they'd start, you know, keeping your list for you. And uh, then I stopped around, oh, the mid-80s or so, I guess, around 85, 86. I just kind of weaned off of it because I thought, you know, I'm too old for this now. And then... Uh, 
then we got to the 90s and they killed Superman. And I said, oh, I got to stop buying this again. And like I said, now, now I'm not too old. When I was 25, I was too old. Now I'm not. <laughs> I never, uh, once I started collecting seriously, I never, uh, I never did stop. I, I've had some, some real dry spells. I mean, I had some, some points where, you know, because of just life and circumstances, you know, I had to cut way back or, or, you know, give up titles or, you know, take a little hiatus where, you know, I, I, you know, may have had to told, you know, tell the LCS, you know, Hey, you know, I won't be in for a couple months or something like that. But, uh, never, uh, I never stopped collecting. It's really here just in the most, you know, most recent times where, I, I'm almost stopped. You know, I mean, I'm definitely not, I'm not getting anything from, from Marvel or DC, which is just bizarre to me. You know, I mm. never, I never saw that day coming. You know, I never predicted a day when I wouldn't be, you know, the Mr. Up-to-date guy on, on the latest adventures of Superman. You know, that, that's just weird. I, I've still never gotten used to that, but you know, I, I really, you know, for all the opinions I spout all the time, I really try not to ever preach. You know, I, I'm not shy about my opinions, but at the same rate, I, I hope to God I never come off as as preachy or, or, you know, beating people over the head with, you know, this is my opinion and you damn well better subscribe to it. I might joke about that, but I'm not serious about it if I ever do come across that way. But but there is one thing that I do I, I have actually kind of taken up as a cause that I, I will say that I probably do kind of preach about, and that is, you know, getting over the collector mentality, getting over that mentality of, you know, I, I've been collecting Title X for twenty years, and yes, it might suck, but I just can't stop. You know, yeah, you mm-hmm. can, you can, you know. It's hard though. It's hard it, it, to it initially is. stop. It is. It really is. But I tell you what, you know, if you can do it and stick to it, it is the most liberating thing. I mean, you really feel powerful. <laughs> but I remember the first the first book for me, the first thing that I, I ever faced that situation was the Bat books, because I had started collecting, you know, seriously collecting the Batman books. Um, Oh, this would have been early to mid '80s when I really started to get serious about being a comic book collector. Batman was what I latched onto as far as you know. I wanted everything as much as a, of a Superman fan as I was. I, I freely acknowledged, even as a child, that there was a lot of Superman stuff out there I just didn't care about. You know, whereas Batman was different. Batman, I wanted everything. You know, I was just a huge Batman fan, so I started collecting Batman. And I was both going backwards and forwards at the same time. But at some point in the early 90s, I want to say right around 91, 92, I think. It was right around the time of, uh, of Batman Returns, the movie coming out. Mm-hmm. I just suddenly realized one day that, you know what, this sucks. I've thought it sucked for a while now. It's going in a direction I don't like. I can't remember the last issue I read where, that I liked and was excited about. I'm I'm spending a lot of money on this, and I'm in a rut. Now, is that before or after the Bane breaking his back thing? It was just after it. Because it, it, about the time that Jean-Paul took over was about the time I was like, eh, I think I'm done with this. Yeah. 
because I, I remember following that was when I actually that was right when I quit because I, that was when I started to miss issues and I realized because I because I, all of a sudden Batman got red hot for a time and there was that whole what was the lead up to the back breaking what was that storyline called night fall night fall I think and all of a sudden in the area I was living at the time that got really hard to find the individual issues. And that was what, like a 19 chapter thing or something. Oh, uh, it, 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 you know, that was part of the whole event, you know, when they started getting into the events, it yeah. went on too long. And I, I remember running all over town to every place that I knew that sold comics, trying to get this thing. And I don't remember what issue it was, but there was an issue that I couldn't get and I was killing myself trying to get this issue and just couldn't lay a hand to it. And it was about that time that I realized I am expending a lot of time and energy frantically trying to get something I don't even give a shit about. <laughs> because I didn't like the story. I didn't like where it was going. The art was horrible. Yeah, and I remember not liking the art. And, and I just was like, why am I doing this? I'm doing this to fill a hole. That's the only reason I was doing it. I was doing it simply so that I would not have a hole in my collection. I was not buying it because I was going to sit down and read it and enjoy it. And when I made that realization, I, I, I at the time, I freely understood that this was going to be akin to sawing a, an arm off. But I did it. And... I've never really looked back. I've never really regretted it because it was very liberating. It, it was it was nice to be able to make that break and let it go. You know, part of part of that not only the the, the collector's mentality, which I certainly have had, uh, but uh, but the other aspect of it is, and I don't think it's I don't think it's any longer valid. But I think it was at one time. Like when I went through my stage of not collecting. Uh, there's the fear of being left behind. Mm -hmm. uh, that that there's going to be good things coming out, and you're not going to be aware of them, and you're going to miss out on something good, and that you're not going to be able to get it down the line. And I don't right. think that's any longer a valid problem because ever since my wife made the mistake of buying me an iPod, and and I started finding out about shows like yours and 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 a couple of others that I've really enjoyed, it's kept me. Even when I choose not to buy a series, it's kind of kept me abreast of what's going on. Mm -hmm. So, especially, you know, uh, like one, one very good show for that is uh, iFanboy, uh, where each week they come out with a, uh, you know, a show and they start off with what they think is the book of the week. And then they kind of go through the week's comics and they give you kind of a rundown and they spoil them if you're, uh, you know, if it's something you want to, you know, you're going to read. You, obviously, you don't listen to them until after you read it. But they go through the week's comics. And I found that. When I stopped buying again, because I no longer feel the need to buy something unless I think it's of good quality. Right. Uh, but now, like, if I'm not buying, say, Thor, and uh, I, I feel like the run is subpar, but if I'm listening to a show like that or several others that are out there, eventually, if they do start having a really good run, like when JMS started writing Thor and, it, and, it, and he did have a good run, uh, they start talking about it, and then, you know, my ears kind of lift up and I think, oh, okay, that's something I want to I read, but I don't even have to worry about going out and trying to find those back issues because I'll wait six months and I'll buy the trade and I'll sit down and I'll read it. 
So I'm not going to be left behind if something really good comes out because I'm going to hear about what's coming out and they're available to me, you know, in, in, a, in a mass production way where I don't have to worry about, you know, paying some comic store owner $20 for an issue because it's a rare one and people didn't realize how good it was when it came out. You know, that's no longer a consideration. So I, I, I don't feel the need to buy anything unless I think it's of, high, of at least reasonably high quality or, or I'm going to get some enjoyment out of it. doesn't mean I don't buy the occasional clunker, but, you know, <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know, sometimes you get the clunker because they start off hot and then they kind of fizzle out. Right. Uh, when, when Secret Invasion came out, I was right on top of that, and I bought it. I thought the first issue was awesome. I didn't really like the scratchy artwork, but I thought the story was great. And then each issue that came out, the story kind of went downhill a little bit to the point where the last issue was almost a non-story altogether as far as I was concerned. So, I mean, I do end up picking up some things that I don't think, you know, end up being of quality, but at least I try to be discerning, and I don't just pick up any piece of crap because, you know, I have a run of 50 issues and I don't want to put a hole in it. Well, see, that's another... For me, that's another major concern of buying comics today in the modern market is that there have always been turkeys. You know, there there have always been, you know, those speed bumps in an otherwise great run. There have always been those series that have come out that are, you know, just what you say. You know, they start off strong and then they end poorly. And then there's always that stuff that that sounds so awesome in the hype and then you buy it and it's crap. We're always going to get things like that, whether it's a movie or comics or novels or whatever. But the problem is years ago when comics were an inexpensive uh, form of entertainment, you know, you, you, it's hard to say you could afford it, but you could. You could kind of afford to occasionally get that stinker, you know. Mm-hmm. These days, I can't afford it. You know, even if it's just one every so often at four bucks – I can't afford that. It, it's so they're they're in a you know they're in the very uh, unenviable position of they gotta knock it out of the park every single time, and nobody can do that. Nobody, you know, hits it out of the park every single time with any product that they do. You know, even Star Wars had a movie that people didn't like. You know, yeah. so I mean, it, it, it's just the simple reality of the situation and. You know, I I feel badly for them, you know, in that position. But I I also feel at the same rate that they've priced themselves into that position. Because I don't buy that comics have to be four bucks. I've never bought that argument. And 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 they used to set forth the argument that it was the production cost, and then (laughs) and then they can digitally do it and eliminate those production costs, and they don't. Or or there was some point where they were saying the paper quality was what cost them all this money and people said well come out with it on a lower stock of paper and they said well that would you know that that's not going to do it because we need to pay the talent the money or whatever so you know they're obviously not being totally honest with us in what what their expenses are but then the other the other consideration is uh, in all fairness is if i were going to take that attitude of i want to jump into this feet first again I wouldn't pay two ninety nine or three ninety nine a book. I would go through like DCBS and and get them at you know thirty forty percent off because obviously and and that goes back to what we're saying too that if if you if DCBS can afford to sell them at thirty or forty percent off that means there's a huge markup that's going to these comic book stores. So if you're doing it digitally and again I feel bad for these comic book store owners but you want to keep the industry alive 
you're, you're eliminating that hand from the mix that's got to take a portion of our money and you can put it out there that much cheaper. Well, I have noticed that lately, and, and this is fairly true for, I would say, probably the last, I don't know, time gets away from me sometimes. I'm going to say 10 years now, probably, I've been doing this, is buying very little new because I've really managed to wean myself away from that. I got to have it the day it comes out mentality because I, I've hardly ever been the guy that buys his books and reads them right there on the spot. They almost inevitably wind up on a, on a nightstand or in a box waiting to be read sometimes for years. You know, I still have box, you know, boxes and boxes of stuff that I bought new the day it came out threw it in a bag and board, threw it in a box, and I've still never read it. So when I finally realized I was at that point, I, I seriously started to, to cut back on my pull list and started to notice that, you know, there's very few titles, there's very few books out there that if you start being a convention hound and really haunting, you know, the, the dollar bins and the 50 cent bins and stuff like that, you know, if you're patient and you're willing to play that game, you can pick up entire runs of things. And I, I, I definitely decided to go that route, um, you know, as a, as a definite plan here not long ago, because there was a series that came out and I thought it was a fantastic series. It got mixed reviews, but I enjoyed it a lot. It was that, um, it was that Marvel collaborative effort. This is going back maybe two years. It was an Avengers, Avengers of Invaders. Invaders was it? Invaders. I was thinking it was Invaders. I was trying to remember. It was yeah. It was the. It was a, like a time travel story. It was really yeah, that was, good. That it was, was a, a good story. It was. I, it was a twelve issue series, and I bought it brand new as it was coming out, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really solid series. But as I was buying that series, every time I bought a new issue, I kept thinking to myself, "I think I'm wasting money on this. I think I'm going to end up finding this in the fifty cent bin." But I was enjoying it so much that I, I wanted to support the book, so I kept going. But in the long run, I ended up paying three to four dollars an issue for that entire twelve issue thing. When I did literally the very next convention after the that series was complete, found the entire run in a fifty cent bin. So I, you know, my my hunch b bore out to that reality. And that's when I decided that that's it, you know, from now on, I'm going to listen to that inner voice and I'm just going to wait these things out and you can do that. So I, you know, if, if that happens to where most everything these days eventually is going to wind up in the 50 cent bin at a convention and somebody's making a living off of that, then why do the books have to be four bucks? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've often wondered that. Is if you can afford to sell it for fifty cents, is it that you're taking a loss and you're just trying to limit your losses, or are you somehow, you know, recouping what you've paid for it? <laughs> you know, because if you bought it for fifty cents, <laughs> then then four dollars is a bit much to you know of a markup for it, don't you think? Right. But uh, you know, it's surprising. I I haven't been able to do that. First of all, I just kind of ran out of space for comics too. So that's one of the reasons why I don't buy nearly as many as I did. Do you have a large uh, collection? 
I have a fairly large one. I mean, I, I have, I, I'm, I'm actually switching now from long boxes to smaller boxes because uh, I feel like Danny Glover from Lethal Weapon when he's like, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> those, those, those long boxes get awful heavy when, I, when I'm starting to move them all around. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm, I've been actually taking some boxes. I, I went online. I was looking at the short boxes, the, you know, the legitimate comic book short boxes. They wanted $15 a box, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so I, I at, at my office they have you know a coffee machine and they buy these you know those those, uh, those pods for it mm -hmm. and the boxes the cases that those come in are like just about the right width and they're about half the, the length of a, of a of a long box so little by little I've been taking those home with me and I'm throwing the long boxes out and I'm replacing them you know each each long box with two short boxes uh, but I have two metal shelving units that are like stock full of long boxes. And so, I mean, it's, I would say, I don't even know how many thousand that would be. Uh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15,000 books in there. I don't know. Uh, so it's a lot. <laughs> At least it feels like a lot to me. And I, I just don't have the storage space for them all anymore. But, but also, surprisingly, living as, as close to New York City as I do, uh, there aren't that many shows. You know, I, 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 the last two years, I, my son and I went to New York Comic Con and both times after we finished, I, I started looking and you know looking in the paper, looking online, seeing if there are any, you know, either Long Island shows or or, or city shows because I'm only like 25 miles from the city. Uh, you know, figure you know I'll take them and we'll go to go to a smaller show. And there's really very very little that goes on over here. I think uh, in in Florida, you guys probably have more shows than we do. For some weird reason, I, I'm still in like we just blew into town mode. And I really start to – I need to change my thinking and get myself more into, no, we actually live here and we're here to stay <laughs> mode and, and start finding out, you know, where are the conventions, what are the conventions, you know, what's going on and, and act, actively be engaged, you know, in, in the fan community here where I, where I am. Because I'm sure there's got to be an awesome one. I've just – I've been so busy with – you know, everything, you know, work and podcasting and everything else that I, I haven't been engaged like I, I really should be. But uh, I'm going to be working on, you know, hopefully changing that here in the in the near future because I'm, I'm really looking forward to going to, uh, to Megacon. And I like, you know, I like just to go to conventions and, you know, see what everybody else is into and that sort of thing. Yeah. I don't. I, I'm at the point now. I don't really need any more comics either. I, I just I still enjoy the thrill of the hunt, <laughs> and you know if I can if I could ever wean myself completely off new books and and go all digital, then I I would because that would free up that you know that much more money to hunt the back issues because I you know I I'll, I'll never go completely paperless you know because I, I like the feel of the old books but i i could definitely do to you know do some major culling of my collection at this point and get rid of some of the fluff and i you know n as far as new things coming out i could go digital on new things because that wouldn't bother me at all it's the old books you know that you know before they went to the the look of comics you know how they look and feel today i i just don't i don't think they make the transition to digital very well there's something about the paper quality and the printing quality and all i i just rather hold that in my hand you know well i i think the the older books go better digital on a tablet than they do on a computer or actually the older books or the newer books it doesn't matter i think comics in general are much better on a tablet than they are on a computer uh, and, and, you know, it's another source of money that I think they're, 
just missing the boat on is uh, remember when they came out with those uh, DVDs mm-hmm. of of the uh, you know the old series you know the, they had the Spider Man they had the Fantastic Four one they had the Hulk uh, Iron Man Ghost Rider and Star were, Tre- uh, Star Trek Star there was Trek a massive yeah. Star Trek one that came out a couple of years ago yeah I have all of them because. <laughs> Uh, you know, it was just so much of an easier way of, of getting a book and, you know, rather than going and hunting which box do I have it in and pulling it out and then taking it out of the plastic and reading it. Mm-hmm. If, if, you know, if it's something, especially if it's something I already read because I'm going to breeze through it much faster than I did the first time around, uh, you know, having it in that digital format is a lot easier. Uh, now, they, those scans don't translate to a tablet quite as well because they would scan both pages when the pages are side by side, they'd scan both pages as one image. Whereas you're much better off if they make it separate images because the tablet's only, you know, got a 10-inch screen. So you're compressing it a little bit too much when you're doing the double-page spread in there. But if you get it to a single page on there and you could sit on the couch and read it instead of having to sit in a computer chair and you're not using a mouse, you're just swiping with your finger, it really is a, a, a much better format for reading than just about anything else because it's so convenient and it's so easy. You so, know, so you're you're using this yourself? I ha- I have used it for some. I mean, I don't I don't have everything, but it's you know it's just you're not worried about wrinkling a book. You know, there's none of that. You know, and and yeah, it, it's you know I I I find that I can bring my tablet with me anywhere. There, there, you, you avoid that stigma of having somebody look over and see that you're reading a comic book and, and you know, turn up their nose at you because obviously you're not as intelligent as them because you're reading a comic. Right. Uh, you know, there's, there's none of that involved with it. So if they would latch onto that market, why can't they market these old books if they don't want to do it with the new stuff if you want to say let's lag behind on the new stuff and you know you got to wait until it's a year old before we're going to release it digitally to you or something you know i know everybody's thrilled with this day and date stuff but if they want to keep the comic stores alive fine you know make make the new books only in a comic book store and if you want it digitally you have to wait a little while for it whatever but why aren't they taking these old runs and and bundling them up and and you know, giving them, to, giving them to you at a severe discount because you're not going to sell them at two ninety nine each anyway. You know, I mean, I'm trying to remember those DVDs when I bought them. I think they were, you know, in the range of it, it, the, the more expensive ones when they were new. I think were like forty dollars, and you'd 40, have like yeah, five hundred books in them. Yeah, I mean, the, the Star Trek one, I think I bought for ten dollars. So. Wow. You know, I mean, and that had everything from Gold Key up through DC and right. Yeah, that was you know, yeah, it was massive. Yeah, and then they, they I, I bought them both. It was like a, a combination pack. It was that, and then they had another one with all the movie adaptations. And I think the two of them combined was like, if it was $10, it was a lot. And somebody had, you know, somebody I knew who know, knows that I like Star Trek and knows that I like comics said, you know, sent me a link with the, uh, with the ad for it. So I just put in the order and, and grabbed that. But, I mean... Those, you know, you adapt those for a tablet, make them single pages, and, and, and re-release them. Because obviously, you know, they're out of print now, and I don't know why they're out of print. And and those would have, they have like some sort of watermark on them, so if you try and print them, it puts like a big Marvel stamp in the middle of it. So, you know, the, you know there's ways of them getting around some of the pirating that you could do with it. But, uh, you know, if they made it reasonably priced, people wouldn't pirate for exactly the reasons you were talking about before. Mm-hmm. And and also, you know, you could take your entire collection and you could have it in the size of, of a disk drive uh, instead of having to have it take, you know, two massive 
metal shelving units in my uh, in my basement. Well, I would think, I mean, unless you're talking the the you know the kid or the shut in or something that just has way too much time on their hands, that if you took this material and you made it so cheap and so affordable and so nicely produced and everything in a digital format to where the scanner just looks at you know the the latest issue of Dirt Man that he just picked up from the comic shop and said, you know what, if I if I wait, you know a week or something this will be online for 50 cents i just don't feel like scanning this it'll take me three hours to make a nice quality scan of this as opposed to just go online through you know marvel or idw or whatever and just buy it i think that right there is a is a hell of a piracy deterrent when it's just it's so cheap it's not worth pirating you know what i mean because i know this works for movies I mean, look at all the movies that are available at Walmart for like five bucks that you just really don't find them online in the torrents or whatever because it's just cheaper to go to Walmart and buy it for five bucks than to spend all the time to download it and burn it to a di- – by the time you've spent all the time and, and money and everything to burn a copy, you could have just run out and grabbed the damn thing for five bucks. There's a lot of movies like that these days. Yeah, I mean, and I, they, they did it with a lot of them where, uh, like, I, I bought the Dirty Harry series. Mm-hmm. All, all four, you know, actually, there's five Dirty Harry movies, but it had it didn't have the fifth one. It had the first four Dirty Harry movies, all in one set for ten bucks. Exactly. Why? Why would I bother pirating something? Like exactly. That? Yeah. Exactly. Because you all you're gonna in the long run, all you're doing is you're wasting a hell of a lot of time and a bunch of uh, and a bunch of discs. You know, mm-hmm. a, a bunch of discs that you know you, you'd be better off. You know, you could. I don't know, throw some music or some, you know, downloaded CBR or whatever, you know, why would you do that when it actually is more cost effective to just buy the actual and then everybody gets paid. You know, I think if comics gets to that point where the digital stuff is the same type of deal, it's more cost effective to just actually purchase it than it is to spend time hunting, you know, something that some kid scanned you know, then problem solved. But I, I think the the major hurdle that has to be overcome in this situation is greed. I think that uh, the companies it's it's fun, it's about time that they just fessed up. It doesn't have to do with the cost of paper or the cost of paying Alan Moore or anything like that. It has to do with corporate greed. And I'm sorry when you're on life support it's not the time to start getting greedy you know i mean you've got to save your industry first worry about getting a new revenue stream coming in worry about reinvigorating your market then you can start to think about okay how can we start taking people to the cleaners again and sh- shouldn't greed take you that route anyway even if you're going with the same motivation shouldn't it be okay look we can get X number of dollars this year if we try and milk everybody for everything they're worth. But every year we're going to have X minus Y because that's how many people we're going to alienate. Yep. And that's how many new buyers we're not going to pull in. Mm-hmm. So instead of getting X this year, I'm going to get 50% of X this year. But because I'm only taking 50% of X this year, next year I'm going to get a full X. And the year after that I'm going to get two times X. And I'm going to be re- slowly reinvigorating this market to the point where it's going to become a cash cow again. So my greed is then taken care of. It's just that, that need for immediate money that's killing them. 
See, up until uh, Disney bought Marvel, I had kind of had a half-formed, half-assed theory in the back of my mind that maybe the parent companies ultimately didn't care if they drove the market straight into the ground and comics died because they don't make near as much off the actual comic books as they do off all the licensing and everything these days anyway, that ultimately if, if DC comics folded tomorrow, the, the actual paper production part of DC comics, I, I just began to suspect that, you know, it, it wouldn't be that big, wow that it would have been say 20 30 years ago that that well they'd had their run and that was that and superman will always be around on t-shirts and underwear and you know a movie every 10 years well you think about it they're they own those those characters but they're not expanding their universes at all who was the last character introduced by marvel or dc that was of any significance at all can you think of any? Let me think. For I think Marvel has has the more recent one, and I'm trying to remember who it because I've seen this on forums not long ago. Where it seems every every recent character that's come up that's of any significance is creator owned. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. For, actually, created by the yeah, I, I I can't think of one actually in in anything that would certainly in the last ten years I can't think of any. Yeah, I mean nothing, except nothing for some that, minor villains, you know that the yeah, the, the, and even those, you know, you a, a lot of when they do come up with somebody new, it's a legacy character, mm-hmm. so that they kind of already own the right to that anyway. Because you know, okay, if I if I decide I'm going to make Batman have a son, I couldn't do that as a creator owned project anyway. I mean, the last thing I could think of for, say, DC, I would think, and I'm probably, you know, there's, I'm probably just showing my ignorance here, but I, I'm going to say probably Bane and Doomsday would be the last ones I, I could think of that are, quote unquote, marketable. You know that's what I mean? 20 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, that's that's my point. Beyond that point, I can't. I really can't think of any. And then for Marvel, Marvel's even tougher because I mean I, I know they have had some, but see, I'm thinking of like Cable, maybe. Maybe, Deadpool? but he's Deadpool. Yeah, I guess Deadpool. But even Deadpool, he's over 20 years old too. Beyond the fact that he was in X3, I mean, I'm not seeing Deadpool t-shirts, you know? And that's kind of my measuring stick is that if you're if you're on t-shirts at Walmart, that's how I see, you know, that's, that's the level of where comics are surviving these days is in the and license. That, and that tells you that they're in the public consciousness, that, they're, that mm-hmm. they're popular enough to put out on something for the mass market. Right. So, and and I'm trying to think of the last T-shirt I saw, like the most recent character I've seen on a T-shirt, and I'm having a tough time coming up with anybody. I'm coming yeah. up with Luke Cage, who came out in the 1970s. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't think of anyone on a T-shirt that's you know created more recently. I, I guess I guess Wolverine is Wolverine. The, uh, yeah. You know what, what was he? 77 maybe. 76? 75 is what I was gonna say. I'm, I'm really that may be right. I think you're right on that. Yeah, sometime mid mid to late 70s, but Hulk 181. Yeah, probably 75, 70 or yeah. so. But yeah, I, I mean, there there's certainly been attempts, but I can't I can't think of anybody who's who's truly had staying power. You know, yeah. and yeah. 
So, I mean, that's that's why they continue to go back to the well with these characters. You know, your your Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, you know, that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, as I say, up, up until Disney made that purchase of Marvel, I, I really was starting to, to suspect that this was a, uh, a situation where the companies were just, you know, because it, it came up on, on something I was reading, you know, I don't know, a forum or something that, that somebody posed the question of, why does it seem like these companies are just continually just raping and cannibalizing what little readership they have left? And that's kind of what I was thinking was that, well, yeah, that is what they're doing. They're they're going to take every dime they can from these people so long as they stick around for as long as it lasts. And when it's over, it's over. And that, that may be exactly what their business model is. We're just going to ride this out. And then when the comic book industry comes to its slow death we'll still own these characters we'll still be able to make movies we'll still be able to make cartoons and mm-hmm. the occasional graphic novel that'll sell uh but otherwise that's where the money is made anyway and and since we're not creating new characters we don't really have to worry about keeping this market alive right that may be what they're thinking yeah it and, may and, be and, and it's a sad reflection on something that that you know you me and a lot of other guys have spent so much of our lives enjoying you know, it it it, it kind of sucks. Even you know, even with that purchase, though, come to think of it, you know, I'm sure that the the actual paper production was a very tiny consideration of the overall deal because ultimately Disney made that purchase because that company has struggled for many a year now to capture that elusive. Um, teen, tween, boy market. They've got girls nailed. You know, they've got mm-hmm. girls nailed every which way from, from Sunday. As far as you know, the they've got the early, you know, w- starting out with you know Mickey Mouse uh, or not a uh, Mickey Mouse. What do you call it? Um, like Disney Junior type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right up through you know Winnie the Pooh to they've got some new like Junior Princess thing coming along. Right up through the princesses. You know, right on up through to you know Miley Cyrus and all that sort of thing, right up until pretty much young young womanhood. Well, you but, know what happens, at least the dynamic I've seen with my nieces, and I think I'm starting to see it with my daughter too, is they go through the princess stage, then they become a little too old. Like my daughter now at 11 is a little too old for the princesses. Uh, you know, that's not considered cool by the girls in school. But then when they start hitting their late teens, early 20s, it almost becomes nostalgic to them and it becomes mm-hmm. cool again. Mm-hmm. So so it's it's they lose that little teen market from, say, 15 to 20, but they pull them back in later anyway. But a lot of those girls, even though when they lose the the princess part of it, they you know the, you still find them, you know, they're, they're, they're tapping their foot to, you know, the, the top 20 stuff. And a lot of that stuff is dominated by, you know, something that, that, that Disney put onto the map, you know, for as mm-hmm. far as music or whatever. You know, the, the young boy bands or, you know, oh, yeah, something like that. My daughter like spends that. a lot of time listening to Radio Disney, my friend. There you go. So, but, you know, so they, they've got the girl market wrapped up at this point. They've, you know, they've, they've really owned that. Boys is a completely different thing. You know, and and they've struggled with that for for a number of years now. So one of the the major, probably the major, I would guess, consideration in that purchase of Marvel 
was that they wanted to get something that the boys were into. And, you know, these days, you know, one of the huge things that the boys are into are the Marvel superheroes, you know, your, your Spider-Man and Cap, you know, all these new huge movies that are, you know, Iron Man was huge. I mean, it is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, the the lead up to the Avengers and all that. So, I mean, that was a, a major consideration. And, you know, that runs a, a pretty wide gamut, too, from, you know, from very young boys, you know, that, that can get into something like the, um, I forget what it's called, you know, that, that junior superhero show. Superhero Squad. Squad, that's it, yeah. You know, right up to you know, young men, you know, I mean, you know, you got the 20 somethings that are, you know, going to the theaters to, to see the latest, you know, Spider-Man or whatever movie that's coming out. So, I mean, that, that was that attempt to, to, you know, to grab a piece of that market because that's, you know, the young guys are the ones that are taking the young girls to the movies, you know, so that, that's a huge market of movies right there. So that was the, the real big consideration there, but, the the paper comic side of it, I don't think not so much. It was all about the marketing, you know. Yeah, the, I, th- you know, I think it was we own the characters now. You you know have your little printing, uh, your little publishing house, do whatever you want with that, and then you know we'll just take care of the uh, the, the the action figures and the uh, movies, which is where we're going to really make our money anyway. Yep, and uh, you know all the t-shirts because. You know, that, that's got to be huge for them now because, you know, typically when you go to your, your Walmart, you know, you saw basically three kinds of T-shirts in the T-shirt section. You got your, you know, you got your Mickey Mouse T-shirts, you got your Superman T-shirts, you got your Spider-Man T-shirts. Now two-thirds of that they own. That's money straight in their pocket. That's huge. Yeah. So, I mean, for, from that, you know, perspective, it was, that was a very, you know, it, smart and important decision on their part. And I've definitely seen an increase in the availability of different Marvel characters on T-shirts since Disney took over. Oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have too. But at the same rate, you know, as you pointed out, they haven't really had new characters, you know, with sticking power anyway, in quite some time. So, you know, how long are they going to be able to wa- ride that wave, you know, I, I guess indefinitely, you know, if, if, if Spider-Man and Superman and, and characters like that, you know, if, if they end up being, you know, the, the, the equivalent down the road, they end up being, you know, the, the Tarzans and Sherlock Holmes and, you know, those characters that have been around for, you know, a century and a half or something, then I guess indefinitely, you know, they can continue to make, you know, every few years there's a new, you know, TV show or movie or something like that. But it would be nice to see, you know, stuff coming out of the the paper side as well, you know, to to continue to, you know, not only lend something new to the marketing side, you know, to give them new things to make movies and T-shirts of, but also just to justify you know, keeping the the paper side going. Because I don't want to see paper... I really don't want to see them go away, you know? I I don't, but if they continue to publish them in some form, like I said, if it's digital, that's fine, but they still have the serialized, regularly published issues in whatever format they're in, I can live with that. 
I'll be very disappointed to see that just go by the wayside in lieu of we're going to have TV series, we're going to have movies, and you know, once in a while we'll come out with a graphic novel. That's you know, that would be disappointing. I had one other uh, idea. I, I just come up with this actually a couple of days ago. Let's see what you think about this idea. You know, I, I'm one of these guys that's that's feeling very disenfranchised with with the big two these days, and and the the Marvel side of it is much harder to to fix to a point to please me. But I, I actually was thinking the other day because I keep getting asked lately about uh, Earth Two. Um, or whatever that book's going to be called, you know the the DC mm-hmm. thing that's that's going to. Yeah, I think it is Earth too. You know what I think about it, and you know, am I going to purchase it? No, I'm not. And what do I think about it? I honestly, I don't really have much of an opinion. I, you know, on the one hand, I'm glad they're doing it. On the other hand, I'm like, eh, it's too little, too late. You know, and and I'm not really invested. But I really was trying to. You know, just just doing some looking inward, trying to figure out why am I not interested in this more? I mean, why why am I not excited about it? Like, you know, in all rights, I, I honestly should be. And it all, of course, you know, for me, it it always comes back to Superman. You know, and my and my feelings on that character, and and my feelings about how they're handling him current day, and you know, all that kind of thing. And I, I it suddenly hit me. You know, they may be half-assing it, but basically the multiverse is back in DC. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're kind of back to the days that they were before, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths ever happened, in, in a lot of ways. So if they truly have a multiverse again, and they have multiple Earths, and they're going to be doing this Earth 2 series and everything, why couldn't they kind of throw a bone to the older collectors or you know say people that just aren't enjoying you know superman or or some of these other characters that have a new incarnation yet people were attached to older incarnations why can't they go beyond just earth 2 you know bring back the the pre-crisis you know earth 1 bring back you know the the from crisis to crisis era earth whatever that was designated as you know new earth or whatever it was it gets a little muddy it gets a little complicated because you you would have you know multiple iterations of the same characters just in slightly different forms and slightly different continuities but they've done it before and for a time it was very successful and it gives everybody their version more or less i mean for a time this worked very well for for marvel you know you had the mainstream spider-man and you had the ultimate uh spider-man and you know for what what did that run like a good 10 years or better it was About very successful so, yeah. you know and and you had you know you had very strong followings on both sides of the fence and the, and so you basically had something for everybody and then you know, they also had uh, you know the Spider Girl title, so that when they started to do things with the mainstream Spider-Man title that people didn't like, they still had Spider Girl to fall back on as kind of you know the the continuation of the Spider-Man that they had liked until certain changes were made. I, I think 
if they're going to continue to do things like this where they're they're going to have these these vast universe changing storylines and they're going to have you know whole new you know a whole new springboard of a new universe and everything like that that potentially leaves vast numbers of their readership in the dust then maybe a way to you know to not lose those people or pull them back in at this point would be something like that you know where you give them an you give them somewhere to go rather than get on board or sayonara which is kind of the message they're doing you know right at the moment i mean that that's how i feel it's basically like you know you better love the new stuff or you know well it's been nice knowing you that that's kind of rude mm. you know throw me a bone here give me you know i mean earth 2 is a nice gesture but you know go that extra mile you know give me give me a little bit more give me you know if you if you're going to go as far as earth 2 give me the whole universe that went with earth 2 you know yeah, with the whole i don't think that's ever going to happen you don't no i don't uh I have two reasons. I think that they feel that their credibility is at stake, that this whole relaunch, that they dove into it feet first, they said, this is it, this is the new status quo, and we're not going back. So I think by doing what you're saying, which I would love, actually, if they did, but I think they they would feel that that would hurt their credibility and and that, that you know, peop- it, it, it would basically be that they were taking the back door out uh, also, I think they're, that they're afraid that the more casual fan, who in theory they're trying to pull in, would be too confused by the whole concept of it. But also, uh, I look back to when I first started buying, you know, All-Star Comics when they, when they rebooted the Justice Society in the 70s, or when they did the crossovers with the JLA, excuse me, and the JSA. Part of the appeal of that to me was these are those golden age characters. Right. Here they are, and they're, they're, they're in new stories, but these are the characters that were there in the 1940s and the 1950s, and, and here's new stories with them. Uh, and, and I liked that. I found that intriguing. The way they're doing Earth 2, and this is where it falls short, and I think you feel the same way, where you say it's too little too late, is this isn't those characters. This is... A new take on those characters. So now what we're doing is we're rebooting that universe and we're starting it over again. So it's not going to be, you know, Dr. Fate and the Flash and Green Lantern from 1940. It's going to be a new version of that Dr. Fate. That oh, Green Lantern see, that. I didn't know that. See, I, I thought that this was basically somehow or other the Earth 2 that we thought was either destroyed or assimilated in Crisis on Infinite Earths was now inexplicably back as if that event had never happened. You're saying that this is actually Earth 2 of new the new universe. That's what I think. I, I mean, I haven't heard any definitive statement on it one way or the other from DC, but that's what I think they're doing. Dick, you know, they had Earth 1 and Earth 2... Even those are those those are technically two separate universes, I guess. But they had those in the existing DC universe pre-crisis, and then they had their post-crisis version of what they had. And now I think this is the New Fifty Two version of Earth Two. 
Yeah, well, you know, at the at the risk of scads of hate mail, I'm just gonna put it right out. I think that's a stupid idea. You know, if if, if there's not, you know, this new fifty or excuse me, this new uh, Earth Two book, if it's not spinning out of, uh, you know, the All Star Comics you alluded to, or All Star Squadron, or Young All, any of that stuff, then why should anybody give a crap about it? You know, I mean, isn't that kind of the reason to do that is, is, is to bring that continuity forward to, to keep people, I mean, what, what's, what's going to be the selling point of that book? You know, it, it, this, the strength of it, is it an appeal to nostalgists or something? Because I'm not going to feel nostalgic about a, a reinterpretation of classic continuity Mm -hmm. and i mean at least that's my take on what they're doing maybe i'm wrong maybe maybe what you've said is on the money in which case i i really hope that that's the case because i think that would be a certainly much more palatable for me and Mm -hmm. obviously for you uh but i don't think that's what they're doing i really don't and and really the bottom line on it is going to be if whoever's i think robinson's writing it I I, i think you're right yeah and and the bottom line is going to be if he writes some really good stories, then it's going to be worth picking up because he's writing really good stories, not because it's those characters, but you know, it's going to be it's either going to fly or fall based on its own merit. It's not going to be, well, these are those characters that I love, and therefore I want to see you know them in new adventures because they're not going to be the same characters. See, I don't want to seem argumentative because I, I agree with you that ultimately it does come down to the stories. However, I, I only. I only subscribe to that theory so far. And 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 the the line of distinction for me is continuity. You know, a, a lot of people I, I know that there's strong opinions on both sides of the fence when it comes to continuity, but in my mind, without a sense of continuity, ultimately I just don't see the point. I mean, the occasional one-off story is great. I mean, everybody has, you know, some movie that's you know, it, it's just a movie, and and you love it for whatever reason. You love it, and it's fine. You you don't need a sequel. You don't need a prequel. It just exists as it is, and and it's awesome. But most of us, you know, you you have a fandom for something because it's it's, it's a series where you get to know the characters, and you get in their mind, and you come to care about their their backstory and their future and what happens to them and that sort of thing, and. You know, when, when it's continually rebooted every couple of years, or or when there's actually no sense of continuity, once so you know, like something like uh, I don't know, like Legends of the Dark Knight or something, where I, I could just never get into something like that. I mean, a, a, am I am I the freak here, or I, I would nah. I would think that most people are like that, right? I mean, don't I you kind of get? Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I think I I think I wrote this in to you and Mike on on. A very early back to the bins episode, and uh, I remember you reading my letter, but I don't know if I made my point clearly enough because I try in my mind it's very clear, but I don't know if I articulate it well enough. Is that you know I mean, having been reading books for nearly forty years now, uh, I have come to the conclusion that the books that are coming out now are not being written or marketed for my personal tastes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 I'm re- I really do have to compartmentalize them at this point. And while I love the continuity, and that is one of the things that I that appeals to me, uh, 
I do have to, to some extent, put that on a back burner with certain series and certain books because they're going to reboot it and they're going to start it from, you know, from scratch again every now and again. And and the stuff that I read. 30 years ago isn't necessarily going to have any significance to what they're coming out with now. And, and sometimes it, it's very blatant, like what they're doing with DC now. And sometimes it's more subtle where you have, you know, Tony Stark uh, was in Vietnam when he uh, got injured. Then he was in, you know, the Middle East when he got injured. You know, and, and, and like little by little, they, they just kind of have to update it because you can't have him turning into Iron Man, you know, 40, uh, 50 years ago because he'd be 70-something years old in that armor. So, you know, they, they, it's almost like you have to put the continuity away to some extent or they're not going to write anything that's going to appeal to you because they're looking ideally to get, well, you know what, I, I'm going to back off my own statement because you would think ideally they're looking to pull in the 12-year-olds of now so that they can one day turn into us, but it almost seems like they're marketing, marketing it for the older fans and, and they're, they're disregarding the young fans. So I don't even know what they're thinking, but I do feel like, you know, they are going to reboot it periodically and, and often it's just for a cash grab. And that if you are bothered by that, you're never going to be able to pick up the new series and, and totally accept them. Yeah, I, th- I think so. It's, it's, it's you know, it, it's sad, but I guess when you, you know, when a book has 500 issues out, if you start getting hyper technical on, you know, on, on the continuity, you're going to find all sorts of stuff that's well, going to be inconsistent and that's not going to fly. That's the thing. I, I think that's the argument that that I, I I get thrown in my face a lot is, the, and that's not the case I'm trying to make. Is that yes, there are people and in certain fandom circles, like say Star Trek, I am one of these people. There there are people that expect you to know everything backwards and forwards and stick to it and never make a mistake and if you do we're going to call you out on it i can understand a writer being intimidated by that i can understand a writer going damn you know i'd really like to 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 be the writer on captain america for the next five years but i've only ever read the john Byrne roger stern run and i don't want to get called out every single issue for all the mistakes i'm going to make so to hell with it i'm not you know unless you reboot it you know reboot this title I'm not going to touch it. I can understand that. I really can. But at the same rate, I, I think some of them are just plain. I gotta, you know, I gotta just be honest. I think some of them are just plain lazy. It's like, eh, you know, this character X, you know, he's got 60 years of continuity. I haven't got, you know, I haven't got time to sit down and read every single Superman story that's ever been written, so that I, I won't get called out. So reboot the characters so I can do my my take, my interpretation. It's like, no, dude, don't be a lazy shit. Pick up the last five years worth of Superman, read it, get yourself reasonably up to speed, and then do your run. You know, don't don't diss the fans, you know, with constantly needing to reboot because you want to do your version of it. I, I think that's insulting. Mm-hmm. You know, I I really, you know, I have no problem with you know, I, I I would never expect every writer that touches every character knows every facet and has read every single story that character's ever been. Published. I mean, who, that's an, a, a completely unreal expectation. And I have no problem when, you know, Marvel looks at their characters and says, you know what, that thing with with Ben Grimm having served in World War II, we're not going to reference that anymore because that's you know. 
that that's not a problem yeah exactly i i have no problem with that but it's it's this need to constantly well you know this this is dated this is all we need to refresh it we need to reboot no you don't you you really Mm -hmm. don't just continue to tell exciting stories that are that are based in this and do your best to you know not dismiss continuity but you don't have to be slavish to it at the same it's a balancing act but i think that i think either way is you know either extreme is detrimental to where you have to you know, be slavish to every bit of continuity to keep those fans happy is, is one extreme that that's holding everything back. But then this, you know, let's just reboot it every couple of years. That that's the other extreme that's detrimental because then you're not building that richness of universe and that richness of backstory. And in every time you do that, you you really run the very real risk of disenfranchising you know a large section of your readership because people get invested in things people come mm-hmm. to care about things and when all of a sudden well that never mattered that never happened <laughs> you know there there's going to be a sizable part of your audience that is going to go screw you you know yeah and i'm one of them i you know I, I'm freely, you know, I freely admit that it, it is kind of hypocritical that, you know, I, I loved when Crisis on Infinite Earths and everything that came out of that. I, I embraced that. But, you know, I was a kid when that happened. And so that was my golden age of DC Comics. And I loved it because it was a, it was a fresh new start you know, that you could really get into and embrace all that continuity and everything. And it was it was really fun to learn all that. You know what? I'm 43 years old now. I'm not willing to relearn it all over again just because they decide, you know what? We're lazy. We want to restart the universe again and and start with a whole well, – I'm, I'm sorry. I'm too old to go back to this school. You know, I yeah. don't want to do it all over again. It's been fun. It's been an enjoyable ride. Let's just keep going forward. But I don't care to go back. And, you know, I, I see – you know, we were talking earlier about uh, about Alan Moore and and uh, and uh, what was the other? Oh, uh, Squadron Supreme. You know, one of the reasons I think that those stories don't make quite the splash with me that they do for other people is that it's not that the stories aren't exciting. It's not that they aren't groundbreaking and everything. It's that, that you know they're they're not happening in a universe two characters that I'm particularly attached to, I would like those stories, like say Watchmen. I think Watchmen would have floored me if that were written with the characters that Moore actually wanted to use instead of being um, stand-ins, basically. You know, instead of having Rorschach, it really was the question. And instead of being Dr. Manhattan, it really was Captain Adam. You know, that sort of thing. I think that would have been much more impressive to me because one of the things I've I've grown increasingly frustrated with in comics over the years as I've gotten older is that um I want to see progression. You know, I want to see these characters go forward. I'm no longer content to be stuck in the middle of the story. Probably the major reason that I'm off Superman and can't see myself coming back to that character maybe ever at this point is because 
I, I'm so incredibly disheartened by the fact that, you know, it, it took forever for this character to to finally go somewhere in his romantic life. But he did eventually get engaged. He eventually got married. And I've been waiting all these years to to see the next step. You know, they were going to have a child. They were going to go. The, their lives were going to actually progress. Now they're right back to the whole, you know, Clark, Superman, Lois triangle stage mm-hmm. again. I, I'm not. I'm just not willing to sit through that a second time. You know what I mean? No, I, I absolutely know what you mean. I guess you know there used to be that that school of thought. I think it was uh, what's I can't even think of the, the uh, creator's name. Julius. Schwartz, Schwartz, Julie Schwartz. He 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 set forth the theory that uh, there was a turnover in the readership every three years. Right. So so that every three years you could basically tell the same stories over again. Basically, you know, basically you needed a library of about three years worth of stories because by the time three years was up, anybody who started reading during that time has already gone on to other things. See, uh, and 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 I think there's there's still a little bit of that mentality alive in the way that they're producing stuff. I th- Not quite a three year cycle anymore, but you know, what is it? Maybe a fifteen or twenty year cycle. See, I completely agree with you that that mentality persists in the publishing side of comics, but. I maintain that you and I and people like us are living proof that that is no longer an axiom, you know, mm-hmm. that that we we exist to prove that that's not the case, that a lot of us, that the reason that we've stuck with Spider-Man or Superman or Batman through thick and thin is that we were enjoying the ride. And when suddenly, you know, you hit the reset button and you take a character like Spider-Man or Superman that actually were going somewhere and you put them all the way back to where they were when we got started, I'm sorry, but that pisses me off, you know, and, yeah, and I'm no, just not willing, I'm not willing to, to go on that same ride again and see 20 years from now, is Superman going to get the girl again? I don't give mm-hmm. a shit at this point. You know, I saw him yeah. get the girl. I, I, I saw him ready to be a father and now he's back to a bachelor again, and it's like I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm, I, you know, I'm, that was fun, but no, I, I don't want to go on that ride again. And um, I think something like, say, Squadron Supreme would have impressed me a hell of a lot more if instead of being, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Is it anagrams? Uh, analogies whatever analogs analogs that's it thank you analogs of the justice league if you tried to do that same story with the justice league and take those characters somewhere progress them you know i mean it'd, it'd be daring it'd be controversial but sometimes i think we need that rather than as i say being continually stuck in the middle of the story i i think you know, if comics are ever truly, you know, and granted, comics have matured, comics have gone places in the last 30 years. But sometimes as much as, you know, there's all that talk of how much they've progressed and they've gone places, in a lot of ways, you look at them and go, you know what, we really haven't gone anywhere. You know, we may be a little more mature, the art might be a little bit better, sometimes the stories are a little bit better. But you know, when, when you look at, you know, you're looking on Superman today and you see the stories that are coming out and it's like, wow, really? <laughs> this is pretty much where he was 30 years ago. Then 
have we really progressed? Have have we really matured as a medium? I I don't know, because I can only think that 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 they do this reset button push for you know that new audience that you know they they want to pull in. But where where is this new audience? Is it does it does that new audience really exist? Because I don't think that there is anymore that you know, that three-year turnover or, you know, even a seven to 10-year turnover. I don't really think it exists. I don't see, you know, kids getting into comics as much these days. I don't see the readership being turned over and, and replaced at the same rate that readers are being lost. I mean, do you? No, absolutely not. And I, I think you're right. I think they've they've what they're trying to do instead of progressing the characters is they're retarding the growth of the characters and they're trying to tell the same stories and hoping that they can find new ways to tell them but they're still telling the same stories and to some extent I agree with you that it's kind of lazy storytelling and and as you were talking and I don't know if this is a, a fair analogy or not but I was thinking of uh, one of your favorite things, the Star Trek reboot mm-hmm. and uh, what I was thinking about it was at least with that. Now, any criticism you have of that movie that's based on the writing, uh, and I have some serious criticism when I when I think of a, some of the coincidental things that occurred in that that movie. Uh, you know, Kirk gets uh, banished to a planet. It just happens to be the same planet that that Spock is on, and they're on this huge planet, but they happen to just run into each other, like little coincidental things like that, or the fact that their flagship. Uh, is being run by people who are all in their twenties, and, and except for Captain <laughs> Pike, you don't you don't have one person in their forties on the whole ship. Mm-hmm. You know, thing, things like that, that. That to me, it was just kind of like some lazy storytelling there, some lazy writing there. But to criticize the fact that they rebooted it, at least in that event, or in that case where you're talking about a different medium from comics, but you know. Unfortunately, you know, uh, Forrest Kelly is dead. James Doohan is dead. Uh, you know, William Shatner is 80, 81 years old. Leonard Nimoy is 81 years old. You can't make any more Star Trek movies with these guys. So it's either retire the franchise or come up with a new way to, to reinvigorate it with young people. So I'm kind of okay with them rebooting it. I, uh, those, those points that I just mentioned, I wish they had written a little bit stronger. Uh, but... So I, I kind of fall on both sides of the fences. I understand why you want to reinvigorate things and kind of come back to young characters because it's easier to work with them. But on the other hand, like you say, you know, we, we've got all these years invested in it and to say all of that doesn't count now. You know, yeah, you have your stories. That's, that's always the answer to it. You, you'll always have those stories. Nobody took them and, and burnt your comic collection. Uh, but yeah, but you're telling me that in this universe, those stories are meaningless. Exactly. So, so I understand both ends of the spectrum, but that's why I have basically removed myself from the from the feeling that I need to get every issue of every book because the continuity really is no longer important. And and it's really about if it's a good story and it's well written and it's well drawn, then I'll pick it up. But if it's just another day in the life of a character that's having the same day being lived over and over and over again, like it's Groundhog Day, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pass. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, that's a that's a perfect analogy. And and you know, it. Uh, uh, the thought just went completely. Oh, I know what it was. Um, 
I, I've had a long-standing theory that this is one of the reasons why the back issue market has suffered a lot in, in recent years. I, I know that immediately post Crisis on Infinite Earths, you could pick up just about any issue of Superman uh, of of recent times, you know, prior to the reboot, you know, prior to the burn stuff of Superman. Say anything from from the mid seventies right up until the reboot. I mean, they were given that stuff away because it had just been deemed continuity irrelevant, and so you know nobody was looking for it, nobody was hunting it, and and you could just scoop that stuff up dirt cheap at, at comic shops all across the country. I'm kind of wondering, is that going on right now? You know, when, when you have these events like one more day or, you know, the, the current reboot of Superman and some of the other characters with the new DCU and all that, or new 52, you know, when you have these, these vast runs or even whole universes that suddenly, you know, these huge swaths of them are no longer relevant. Doesn't that depress the back issue market? I would imagine it's got to, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm sure it does. Because, like you said, first of all, they're deemed irrelevant. And second of all, I think the back issue market has kind of faded a little bit anyway with the elimination of the thought that, you know, uh, these things were going to be valuable one day. Uh, you know, the, and, and I guess, you know, a lot of us, have, including me, have fallen victim to that thought over time. Uh, there was a point when I was, uh, you know, where, not too long before I stopped collecting in the 80s, where any series that I thought was a hot series, I was actually buying two issues of. Yeah. So I could bag one and put it away because one day it was going to be worth money, you know? Yeah, I or, went through or, that or, too. Yeah. yeah, you know, so that that thought I think kind of fades, and especially uh, I, I think that is also the, the back issue market is to some extent made irrelevant by the numbering of the comics just because it's too daunting of a task to get 500 issues of something like I said when I when I was doing it it was 130 issues when I started on Spider-Man and even that was kind of you know look at, looking at that it was like uh, how am I going to manage to get all of these uh, so you know if somebody's getting in now somebody's 14 years old now I don't think they could realistically look at say Spider-Man or Superman or you know, any, any of these long-running series and say, well, I'll go back and get all of the issues, even if they really, really wanted to. Uh, they, they're more likely to have to, you know, go through the, uh, you know, the, the showcase issues or the, or the uh, you know, what, what are, I can't even think of what Marvel calls them now. Uh, you know, the, those... Essentials. The essentials, or, or, or even those are in the black and white, but they have the color ones, the... Oh, damn, I know, uh, Masterworks or whatever. The Masterworks, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I see, you know, I've bought a couple of them. I have some for me, and I've bought some for my son. And I'll see, you know, he'll, he'll, pick, he'll sit down. I saw him a couple of weeks ago sitting down with, a, you know, one of the masterworks of the Silver Surfer. Uh, and, and, you know, it makes me feel good seeing him do that. But I, I don't think he's all that concerned with continuity. I don't think he really cares about the continuity. He's looking to read it to see if he's going to be entertained by it, and that's about it. So I, I think there there is some disregard to the continuity at this point, uh, and, and and I I think it's for it's for the worsening of the uh, industry because I think that was part of the fun when we were, when we were originally talking about what we were going to go over today and uh, 
I mentioned to you Giant Size Avengers number three mm-hmm. that I was looking at doing. And and as I kind of read read through that in prepping on the thought that we might do it, it is it is so steeped in the continuity of the Avengers at the time. Uh, and, and I don't want to go too much in detail on it, but it was the conclusion of a story arc that had been running about 10 issues or so with Kang. And, and even after it concluded, they went right back to it again and they had another Kang storyline picked right up from it. Uh, but it also, they, they brought back, uh, like, Kang and Immortus go into limbo and they bring these characters back that had died. Uh, and there was uh, Wonder Man, who at the time had not yet been uh, brought back. Uh, the original Human Torch. Uh, the Frank- Frankenstein's Monster. And then there was uh, the character, the Ghost from the Silver Surfer, and I can't think of the other one. I think it was Midnight from uh, from uh, Shang Chi. Mm-hmm. And 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 I remember reading that at the time, and it was still when I was kind of new into it. I was probably buying for about a year at the time, but. As I was seeing these characters, I was like, okay, I need to get those issues of the Silver Surfer. I need to get, you know, these issues where Kang appeared before. I need to find out what's going on with Immortus. Who is this guy? They had another thing with Ramatut. I mean, they had so much folded into this that it made you want us to see those prior issues. And I don't think they do that anymore. Yep. I, you know, they, they, you, you know, I, I, I hate to just always be, you know, trying to claim that wouldn't, you know, it was better in my day. But I think there was something to be said for that whole series of writers. You had Roy Thomas, Steve Englehart, uh, Marv Wolfman, Len Wein, Jerry Conway. All of those guys, they were like the second wave of... uh, I'm just seeing Chris just came online. Yeah. Uh, But they were like the second wave of writers. And they were taking the stuff that had been written 10 years ago or 15 years ago when they were readers. And now they were trying to work that into the continuity. And it created this, you know, this rich history that they really played with so well. And and I I just don't see that happening anymore. Exactly. See, that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. And I, 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 I keep seeing it thrown out there that, you know the 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 kids today that are getting into comics, which I you know again I ask what kids, but uh, you know the the people that are getting into comics today they they are daunted by high numbers and you know these long runs and these characters with sixty year history and I, I'm sorry but I I just call BS on that whole thing because I know I when I got into comics I know so many people my age and older than me and younger than me that are, that are really into comics and really passionate about comics that all have basically the same story that when they got into comics, one of the things that really appealed to them was they picked up an issue of whatever, you know, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, whatever. And the first time there was a, a, a footnote, you know, referring back to some, you know, character's origin or, you know, some prior fight or the death of some other, and it intrigued them. Wow. There's a history here. I I, I need to find that story. I, I need to know wh- what happened there. And that's how you get sucked in, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I, I'm not, I, I hope I didn't say it wrong because I'm not saying that that 500 issue run keeps you from wanting to see those issues. 
I'm saying it makes it impossible for you to buy all 500 issues. Right, and, right. And now there's other formats that you can get that through, like I said, the Essentials and the Masterworks and the Showcases and all of that. So it's still it's still available to you that way, but I don't think they're feeding it the way that they used to. Right. No, see, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I, as a kid, you know, even with the numbers that most books were at when I was a kid, I, you know, I fully realized that while I may be a Batman collector, I'll never own, you know, Detective 27 or Batman number one or something like that. But it was still fun to go back as far as you possibly could kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And and the reason why I wonder if if that doesn't exist anymore is, you know, when, when some book gets, gets – uh, you know, some title gets uh, rebooted or character or universe or whatever. And, you know, no matter how great, you know, because I always hear that argument. And you said it a little while ago yourself that, you know, nobody burned your back issues. You know, those stories always exist. But at the same rate, no matter how great some old story was, if it's just not relevant anymore, I I think that hurts the back issue market. It, it, It hurts that uh that story because suddenly people aren't seeking it out because it's never going to be referred to again it's uh, there's never going to be a footnote in the latest issue of you know Grant Morrison's uh Superman or Action Comics that's going to refer back to something that happened in John Byrne's run on Superman it's just not going to happen right and and i you know i i'm not sure how i feel about that i but- actually you know I don't. Think- I, I, I think it's a marketing decision by them to some extent too. Is for every you know Matt Spataro or Scotty Gardner who might have a dad who's going to get them interested in this, and and might have a dad who's going to you know tell them about this rich history and get them intrigued. Uh, they you know they they say okay that's one kid who'll go into the back issue market, but what are we getting out of that? I'd rather just create a brand new continuity starting from scratch, and hopefully we get five kids who don't have a dad. You know, and and we're selling five times the number of books. I I really think it's a marketing decision on their part that they just want to get, you know, and I think it's a a wrong-headed marketing decision, but I think they think that by starting it new, you're going to get a whole new readership, and they never get the whole new readership. Yeah, I, you know, if this was the the heyday of comics, you know, if this was the, you know, the, the 40s, 50s, even the 60s or 70s, you know, when when comics were out there and available and it seemed like pretty much every kid you know got comics at, at least for a few years in in the the early part of their life even if they didn't stick with it beyond you know junior high or something i i think then you could afford to you know occasionally make decisions that might disenfranchise part of your readership or whatever but I still maintain, and again, this is my opinion, but I, I think it's a fairly informed one. I still maintain that comics are kind of on life support at this point. I think it's a very dangerous game to play to make decisions that you know damn well are going to drive people away. I, I think that's incredibly uh I think it's incredibly stupid, but at the very least, it's incredibly risky to do that in the hopes that you're going to romance a new readership that is uh, that's going to replace those people. Because I I just don't see the numbers bearing these decisions out. But if, if you're gonna do that, 
then at least make a reasonably intelligent decision. Okay, if, if I'm going to disenfranchise Scott Gardner because I'm rebooting my, my universe and he has no interest in my rebooted universe, then let me put my digital issues out there at 99 cents so that people who weren't buying comics will come and buy them. Not, let me put them out there for 2.99 each, <laughs> which is getting nobody who isn't buying them at the newsstand, and all I'm going to do is have a temporary spike in my sales because some people were intrigued about the new universe, but all of them are going to eventually go away anyway. Right. I think that's what they're looking at. There's, there's a temporary spike because there was a lot of buzz about the new universe, and a lot of that spike isn't new people. A lot of that spike is people who used to buy and now buy, you know, the indie books, and they're coming back to DC temporarily just to see what all the uh, you know, all this talk is about. And as it settles into status quo again, they're just going to go away again anyway. So, mm -hmm. so what did they gain by doing this? If that's the case, uh, that's that's the mystery to me. I'm I'm really. Uh, it, all I can think of is short-term gains is what what they get out of it. You know, a, a short-term uh, a blip. You know, a, a little. You know, they they get a mention on you know some news feed somewhere, some news site or something, and it, and it causes a momentary spike. And but I, I can't believe that it ultimately bears out as a good decision. I I just I, I don't I'm not seeing that. You know, I, I know that they do manage to pull. I'm not saying that they don't pull in new readers because I'm sure I'm hearing plenty of people saying that they're loving, you know, some new book, you know, the the new action comics or something like, yeah, sure, it's got its fans. But I'm just I my thing is that I don't see where what they lost is being, you know, uh or rather, what they've gained is is more than what they've lost. I, I really am not seeing that. And and I'm hearing almost universally, and I would agree with the opinion that of the new Fifty Two, of what I've read of it, and I haven't read, you know, there's a significant amount of it that I haven't read. But from what I've read, the best series from start to finish, you know, whatever it is, the six issues that's come out so far, is Batman. And Batman, if you've heard. They didn't go back on the continuity. They right. Continued, they continued right ahead. <laughs> so those every story that's come out in Batman, which is, like I said, the most popular series from everyone I'm hearing, every one of those issues could have been published under the old format anyway. Right. So, so what did they gain? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, uh, I take serious objection to the fact that, that Crisis on Infinite Earths has been criticized now for over 20 years for all the things that, that people like to dog it about. But one of the major ones that, that it was not a reboot, you know, that if they were going to do that, why didn't they, they completely do it? And why didn't they just clean house and, and re, you know, jumpstart the whole universe and everything. Then this one comes along and it's very big and very lauded and everybody's making a big deal out of it. But it essentially did the same thing. They uh, Once again, they decided to pick and choose what was restarted and what wasn't. And whatever was already working, like Batman or Green Lantern, they left it alone. And whatever they conceived to be broken, like Superman, they, they restarted. So basically, it's done exactly the same thing as Crisis did. Only and, not as well. 
Oh, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it did here as well. But I just maintain. What was the point? You know, now now you've you've compounded your mis- you, what you said you thought was a mistake in the first place. Now you've compounded it because now you've done exactly the same thing. Where where is all that going? I I just I I really don't get it. Um, I, I think it was better to just try to fix whatever you perceive to be broken within the system that you're already operating in because whether or not it's the same people in charge as it was in 80 you know 85 86 you know a promise had been made and now you've broken that promise that you know you you've created a new universe you've created a new continuity and you're going to go forward with that and and it's going to be one big happy continuity universe and now you're saying that, well, that doesn't really work and it never really worked and we're going to fix that. And you go and you do the same exact formula all over again. So how, how is that better? I think you hit on the key word there, too. They went formula. When Crisis was written, it, you know, people who criticize Crisis, I don't think they've ever read Crisis. Right. Because it's an incredibly well-written and drawn yep. book. Uh, and I, to me, if you're talking about, you know, seminal books in my lifetime, that blows Watchmen away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when people criticize Crisis, like I said, the ones who are criticizing it didn't read it. They're, crit- they're really criticizing the end result of the, the, you know, the meshing of the universe and all of that. Uh, so so I, I think you have to look at it almost on two different levels. One is the story and one is the end result. Because the story, I, I think, is above criticism. It really is. Uh, as far as the meshing of the universe, I, I think they kind of got it right that time because I think it did need it. At that point, because you had, you know, so many just silly concepts that existed. So it was either reboot it and start it again like they did with the Burn Superman or just pretend those stories didn't exist and go on. Uh, so, I, you know, I was fine with what they did there. But now this one, it just seemed like it was unnecessary. Crisis seemed necessary. This didn't. Right. So... You know, this 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 almost seems like more of a marketing ploy than anything else. I, I, well, that's exactly what I believe it to be. Is that you know, for one thing, Crisis for all the criticism that people want to, to to lay on that series and everything. A lot of the criticisms that I hear bandied about with that are not valid criticisms of the actual event. Because while yes, the the cracks in DC continuity. That DC, you know, that crisis was, uh, you know, the, the crisis happened to kind of smooth out. A lot of those cracks and and problems came out of the twenty year post crisis history. You know, the, these are things that developed. But initially, I would I would maintain for the first couple of years post crisis. The DC universe was a pretty tight place. I mean, they were running a pretty tight ship for the most part. Were there problems? Yes. Was everything perfect? No. But for a time, it seemed like everybody was on the same page and singing the same tune. And it was a, a it was a marvelous thing to behold. It really was. And Crisis on Infinite Earths wasn't something that somebody came up with over a weekend. As as Michael Bailey and I are pointing out in our coverage of you know the lead up to Crisis, this was an event that was years in the planning. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's not just something that somebody, you know, wung, uh, you know, by the seat of their pants. Whereas everything I've heard about the new 52, that is exactly what it was. That somebody made the decision that we need to reboot the DC universe and everybody was scrambling to facilitate that decision. So I would think that the cracks in that are going to show very you know much more quickly than they did with the original crisis and from what i'm hearing that's already happening because one of the big things yeah i mean you you've got all this continuity from batman that carries forward whereas everything you know a lot of like say superman for example has been rebooted well there are a number of storylines that are going forward with batman that rely on superman continuity so how the hell does that work and and they're, they're they're rebooting superman but it's basically been it's a given that he did go through the death of Superman. So when did that happen? How did that happen? You know, right. it, 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 there's just there's too many things. You know, they they, re, they rebooted Batman but kept his continuity. So he's apparently been Batman for about five years, but he's already had four different Robins. Right. Yeah. See, it's, it's and, things and, and like they, that. And they vary in age greatly. <laughs> you know, I mean, were there problems post the original Crisis? Yes. I mean, but they were. You know, I don't know. I mean, there there are valid criticisms both ways, you know, because as I say, you know, things weren't completely perfect post-crisis. But the only off the top of my head, looking back, you know, 20 some years to when that happened, to my recollection, the biggest mystery coming out of Crisis on Infinite Earths, whose power, uh, excuse me, Wonder Girl now, you know, if Wonder Woman never existed, who's Wonder Girl? That was the big one. I mean, if that's your biggest problem, Wonder Girl, then you're doing okay. And the, the other one is is the whole Hawkman thing that they just kind of like came up with whatever it was, five different origins for him. And right. Couldn't, couldn't figure out which one was actually valid and what they were going to do with it. And then they came up with another character. And I mean, they, they definitely made that convoluted. But again, like you said, that, that doesn't come from crisis. That comes from the handling of the character post-crisis. Right. But now, if you know you're you're post another you know universe reset uh, thing, and and you you're having problems with two of your core characters, Batman and Superman, I'm pretty sure you got a problem there, you know. And and, and they're just sweeping it under the rug by ignoring continuity. Mm. I I think that's what the, the solution is to it. You know, yeah, he died and he's been resurrected, but we're not going to ever reveal to you how, when, where, and and where it falls in the continuity. See, I would think that not only from from looking at their own house and and prior decisions and prior attempts at at you know half-assing reboots and things, but also looking at what's going on over at Marvel and all the stink that was on Spider-Man and uh, and I still think is on him, in, in my opinion from their half-ass thing with one more day and all that you would you would think that somebody at DC when this decision was made about the new 52 would have been like no there's no more half-assing it it's either a full reboot or we're not doing it mm-hmm. but once again they half-ass it and i think it's readily apparent more than ever this time that that's exactly what it is you know, we want to fix a couple of books and we want to leave everything else alone. And it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, but it, when, when you have this tight a universe where all these people live and play together and your character stories 
affect other characters' backstories and history, it, then you, you, you kind of have to be all on the same page with this. Otherwise, you've really fixed nothing. Because all these new readers that you think you're getting, they're going to be twice as confused now. Because now, you know, it, it's not a matter of, you know, are they going to care enough about these characters to embrace something that has a 20-year-old history? Or are they going to, you know, now your new problem is, are they going to get into this and go, I don't know what the hell's going on because they're talking about this and uh, this doesn't match up with what's going on in this other book I'm reading. And, you know, so have you fixed anything i don't think so well what happens when you do get when you're lucky enough to pull in that 12 to 14 year old who's picking up these issues and 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 has the mentality that we did when we started collecting and they see a reference to superman having died and been resurrected and say oh you know what i want to get that and there's a trade my dad has the trade paperback so i'm going to read that and they read it, and it leaves them more confused than they were to begin with because mm-hmm. it doesn't provide them that satisfaction of giving them a story with the character that they're currently reading and what happened to him because this isn't the same character. Exactly. So yeah. that, that's, I mean, they really are digging a hole for themselves as far as that goes. Well, hey, I appreciate you uh, getting in touch with me uh, to to get off my butt and get a, a new Back to the Bins put out, and I appreciate you uh, joining me for this. It's been a lot of fun. I have enjoyed this discussion very much. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcast.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. 